This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This A's Cast download is brought to you by Link Soul. Go to LinkSoul.com and by Nest Bedding. Love where you sleep. Go to NestBedding.com. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. And the pitch is swung on, hit the right field, hit deep. Whitefield going back at the track over his head and over the wall. Do you believe that? And 29 other MLB clubs. Ramirez with a drive to deep right, away, back, goal! Go Hayes! It's a bomb out there by the Rocks. And boy, oh boy, this third inning is now showtime. It is a judgy and blast. All rise. Here comes the judge. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From humidors to spin rates to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. There's one note that came out today that put the biggest smile on my face. In a year that there's not a whole lot to really hang your hat on or be right on or be wrong on, it's just it's just awful. This note came out. And I went when you hear this note, I want you for the rest of the year to listen closely to everything that you're going to hear. And everything you're going to read. Because now, everybody is going to talk about the young guys. It's about the young guys. Oh, they're playing a lot of young guys. Oh, look how young the lineup is. Young guys, young guys, young guys. Blame it on the young guys because that's easy. Chalk, as we like to say. Everybody's going chalk. And trust me, I am doing this today in my hit with Ken Korak because he's one of the violators. No, they're going to go young. Oh, you got a young lineup. Okay. Let's just look at that. A's rookies versus non-rookies. Is this, is this a fair comparison? Uh, yes, I saw the note too. Is it fair? Yeah. Okay. A's rookies have been superior to non-A's rookies in numbers. Let me say that again. As we keep hearing people try and sell us that the A's are so young and they're playing rookies, uh, the rookies have been way better than the non-rookies. A's rookies this year are hitting 237. A's non-rookies are hitting 216. And you've got a way bigger amount of plate appearances for non-rookies versus rookies. So the rookies have a way higher batting, way higher batting average than your veteran guys. How about slug? You like slug. 
Slugging percentage. Have yeah. you heard of it? Slug. A's rookies are slugging 380, while non-rookies are slugging 358. Is that a pretty big difference? I think so, yeah. So the rookies got a way bigger difference in batting average and slug. So they're hitting better, and they're hitting better for more power. You ready for war? I can't wait for this one. Wow. <laughs> war. A's rookies, war is 4.1. A's non-rookies, 1.5. There you have it. Now, is that B war? Is that F war? Which I don't I... know which war. I just know it's war. Was it good for? Nothing. I was going to see. Who... So there you go, folks. When you hear these guys trying to sell you, well, you know, it's going to be tough because we're playing all the young guys. Well, the rookies have been better than the non-rookies. The numbers prove it. Instead of just saying all the non-rookies, hey, they're not very good. The rookies have been better than the non-rookies. Ryan Noda. Este Ruiz. Zach Geloff. Tyler Soderstrom, even when he was here, wasn't that great, but he's one of the rookies. Jordan Diaz still considered a rookie? I I don't know. Because I was thinking about him, too. Like, does he still count as a as a rookie? Let's see when his rookie status went away. Um, still intact through 2023, so he's included. Jordan Diaz. Who, I mean, stop selling me the problem. Well, your excuses that you're trying to sell now is we're playing a bunch of rookies. No, we're not playing that. No, no, no. They have been statistically way better than your non-rookies. It's actually pretty incredible that because of how many got, how many times we've seen the older guys get at bats where they're young guys, like Jordan Diaz sitting on the bench and Soders from getting off days and Lawrence Butler could be included. I know he's small. Oh, yeah, LB's in there now. Small sample size, but he's included. He's included. They're all included. Like Even guys like Jonah, uh, Jonah Bride, Bride and Cody Thomas are probably Jonah Bride can't be considered really because he was up last year. So was so was Jordan Diaz though. Uh, let's see when let's see when Bride's rookie status went away. That leadoff hitter Jonah Bride. Jonah Bride, oh he got past it last year, so he doesn't count. How about Cody Thomas? Cody Thomas, still a rookie. He didn't help much on that. But anyway, are you hearing that from anybody? Where have you heard that? I didn't know till today. Haven't seen it. No one's had it on Twitter. No one's had it on the gram. If anybody is out there trying to sell you that thirty-eight ninety-four is because of the rookies are playing all these rookies, go. Um, the statistics. The statistics don't back what you're saying. Said it yesterday, the manager and the voice of the team, Ken Korak, interviewing Mark Kotze. Well, all the young, all the rookies. Well, guys, you're wrong. Kotze is wrong. Korak's wrong. Everybody, you're wrong. You're wrong. And this is why I've said play the young guys. Play the rookies. Bring them all up. Nick Allen. Where's Nick Allen on that? Well, I think he might have. He might have played enough games that he's already passed. He would it. still count to this because he was still a rookie at some point during the season. He's uh, got to. Nope. He was a rookie. Out, he wasn't a rookie after last year. He after exceeded, last year? Yeah, he exceeded his limits last oh. year. Then he wasn't helping the non rookie numbers. No, no. 
But that's all your Jesus Aguilar, Jordan Diaz, I mean, uh, Letmus Diaz, Jace Peterson. We go down the line, all your veteran guys, Jonah Bride. You want to play Ramon Laureano? Tony Kemp, Seth Brown. Seth Brown in, in, in August has one home run. One home run. One. One. 77, 76 at-bats, one home run. The only position players I'm looking at on here that Jace actually had a 0.4 war, so it wasn't negative. But, like, uh, Langoliers, according to baseball reference, is a 0.9 war, and Brent Rooker is a 1.3. But everyone else is like – those. I'm looking at the top 12 guys. That includes pitchers. The top top three – two of the top three are rookies. It's Ryan Noda's war is 2.1, I believe. And Zach Geloff is at 1.6. Yep. So stop selling me the rookies are a problem. The rookies technically have kind of carried you when you look at the numbers. That's just the truth. Vindication. Bring them up. Bring up the young guys. I mean, at some point, yeah, you're going to see Harris, hopefully, Hernays. Got to see him, right? Is there anyone else down there we're for uh... – Whoever you want to bring up, bring them yeah. up. I'm just trying to think if there's any outfield or anyone. I don't think we'll see Denzel Clark this year, but. No. I don't know if reports on him are all that great. I know he's super athletic and he could be something really, really special, but I've heard he struggles with hitting the fastball. I don't have any numbers based on that. I was told that by a scout that has seen him, that he struggles with that. And if you struggle hitting a fastball, you, I mean, you should be able – to attack the fastball. Um, before we get to this big news, I saw something last night. Get done with post game, go for my walk. I saw something that I thought was great. If you've been following Colorado, not the Rockies, not the Avalanche, that would be your. Colorado Buffaloes. Oh, not no no love for the NBA champion Denver Nuggets. They're Denver, not Colorado. Oh. They're oh, Denver's team. That's okay. Fair. I was thinking about this too. If you could re, if you could go back in time and go back to a franchise and rebrand them again to what they used to be, which franchise would you do it to? I know who I would do it to. If you could go back in time and you could change it. I'd have to think more on it. Like, would you go back to the Devil Rays? It's a good one. Um, oh, you're going back okay, names, too. I, I would love to see the Marlins go back to their old uniforms. Florida Marlins. Would you Marlins. want them to go back to the Florida Marlins? See, for me. Their winners is the Florida Marlins. To me, I think the, the great state of California, the Golden State, we were cheated out of our franchise, the California Angels. I want the California Angels back. Disney came in and ruined it with the Anaheim Angels, and they had the wings. It was all because of Angels in the outfield, which, by the way, there was a funny thing on Twitter. Which manager would you save, like classic movie and TV managers? Um, guy from Bull Durham, uh, Walter Matthau and uh, uh, Bad News Bears. I didn't realize Danny Glover was the manager of the Angels in Angels in the Outfield. I, I don't want to say it, but I will. I've never seen the movie. Oh, wow. 
The other ones I have, yes. I've never seen Angels in the Outfield. I know Danny Glover was in it. The old guy looks like a walrus. He was the manager for uh, um, Redford. Oh, the natural. The natural, that old guy. Wait, you didn't have uh, – why am I drawing a blank? Well, you're not, uh, you don't have Lou on there from Major League? Lou Brown? Lou Brown's on there. Lou Brown. I'm saving Lou Brown 10 out of 10 times. Uh, there was another one. Keanu Reeves was a baseball oh, manager. Yeah, what it, the hell movie was um, that? He was, in, he was in the movie Hardball. It was like the early 2000s. It was a pretty good. It was more about him like being a manager of a, um, a team in like the inner city. So was it? it Did he, not see it. Yeah, it was, I think. Uh, what was her name? Um, D- Diane Lane, I think, was in it as well. She was like the the squeeze, the love crush. I'm just saying, if I could bring back a franchise, the great state of California lost so much when we lost the California Angels. Can you include Art Howell in there? It's a baseball movie. What Moneyball? Yeah. He wasn't in there, but yeah, I mean, I guess you good. <laughs> Sorry, who's the kid that the was, late Philip Seymour Hoffman? What was what, what was the movie with the kid who was managing the Twins? Oh, um, uh, rookie, no, uh, Little Big League. He he was on there. Yeah, even the, what about the guy from uh, Rookie of the Year, Razen Razen Boozer? I'm saving Danny Glover and the California Angels. <laughs> Danny Glover and I, I was like, that's right, he was the manager in that movie. An old teammate of mine was in that movie. Um, There's a couple young actors. They were young actors then, like younger kids who are now. Was it Ryan Gosling was in it? There, or no, it was um, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in it, I'm pretty sure. That's who it was. California Angels. Getting back to my point. So last night, <laughs> I'm on YouTube, and guess who showed up to uh, Buffalo's, I guess they wouldn't call it training camp in college, whatever the hell they call it in college. Practice. We're talking about practice. Guess who showed up to practice? I know the answer already. Who? Michael Irvin. The great Michael Irvin. He was in the news yesterday for something unrelated to Colorado, though. Please tell me he didn't get arrested. No. Okay. He he pretty much said that receivers should learn how to catch the ball with their body and not their hands, and Richard Sherman, this it was all over X, formerly known as Twitter, that he was like, you don't teach receivers to catch with your body, you teach them to catch with your hands. Yeah, you always teach to catch yeah, with your Michael hands. Michael Irvin said, no, catch with your body now, because your hands are like, so you want, and Richard Sherman's like lost his mind. And then T.O. Uh, so T.O. was like, yeah, I agree. A guy that scored more touchdowns than Michael Irvin and I've heard the other uh, analysts. He goes, I agree with Sherm. You catch the ball with your hands. Cool. Everyone's mad at Michael Irvin. Yeah, great. <laughs> so Michael Irvin shows up and gives a speech to these kids. And I'm listening to the speech. And we always try and say that football's different from all the other sports. But I love what he had. That, like, he's like talking to these kids. And it's so true what he said. It's on YouTube. It's really good. There's a lot of things that he said, but the one thing about, listen, look at the guys around you. You're not going to do it without the guys around you. This is not an individual sport. The guys around you, everybody has to be committed everybody's got to do their job. And he goes on and on and on. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, damn right, Michael Irvin, you're right. And you know what? We don't talk about that in baseball until we get to postseason time. Teams are winning. We're dumping champagne and beers all over each other. That's when we talk team. During the regular season, we talk individual stats. Everybody's stats, individuals. You are not going to win unless everybody is pulling their weight. You may get away with a couple guys who struggle. You, 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 you release them, trade them, move guys in. 
But if the bulk of your roster is not doing their jobs and the teams aren't coming together as a team and functioning as a unit, you will not win. Doesn't matter how much money you spend. It doesn't matter who the names are on the back of the jerseys. And it's been proven this year. It's been proven with the Mets, the Padres, the Yankees. It doesn't matter. You've got to have the team play well together. We'll judge these guys individually on statistics. But that is just individuals, and that doesn't win games. We try and figure out every single way to tell you why one individual is good. But how do they all fit together? How does the puzzle fit together? The puzzle has to fit for you to win games. These young guys, these rookies for the A's, these guys are the future. If they work, we're in good shape. If they don't work, we're screwed. It's the way it works. And we focus so much on individual statistics and analytics that the group has to come together and perform together. It's a performance. And how do you do every – there's 162. How many times do you play well, win games? We'll add it up, and that's your record, and they'll decide whether you're in the postseason or not. We all like to play amateur GMs. We all love to do that. We all love to think we could be a GM. We all like to think we could be front office guys. But the reality is, in the media, we haven't been. We've never had that job. It's a very fascinating job. There's only 30 of them. Now there's layers of them, actually. Now you got guys that are vice presidents and presidents, and then you have GMs. Yeah, But really, there's one guy running the organization, one guy where the buck stops with that guy. There's 30 of those guys. Now, he may have people under him, but in the end, when you are a CEO and you've got to get in front of the stockholders, just like the vice president of baseball operations, he's got to get in front of ownership. He's got to get in front of the president of the organization, and he's got to get in front of ownership, which is like, the you know, in many ways, ownerships are groups now. You've got to get in front of the shareholders is basically what it is. I was thinking about this because we can act like we know. We can give the opinions, but the fact is we've never had to be that guy. We've never had to be the guy that has to stand up. We've never had to be the guy that makes the decisions, and the buck stops with you. And it got me thinking today, watching my guy Dan O'Dowd. If you, you, you know by watching this program, I think Dan O'Dowd is one of the best guys we have in the media now. He was a part of the Indians back in the day. He ran the Colorado Rockies. He understands building an organization. And I likened it to an ecosystem. We hear a lot about the ecosystem, especially with the ocean. Is the ecosystem healthy? Because when it's not... Bad things happen. A biological community of interacting organisms and their physical environment. That's what an ecosystem is. A biological community of interacting organisms and their physical environment. Human beings are the same thing. We're organisms and we're in an environment. Is your ecosystem strong? And it got brought up today that the Nationals and the Padres, who made the blockbuster trade for Juan Soto, like at that time, this was, wow, you're getting Juan Soto. He's the best player in baseball, they tried to say, a generational player. 
was only 23 at the time, right, when they traded for him? You're going to get him for at least two and a half playoff runs. You're going to get him for last year and this year and next year. This was a bargain. And right now, the Nationals and the Padres both have the same record at 61 and 70. And it gets you thinking whether this is fair or not. Juan Soto making $23 million this year is a four-war. Now, you had all these guys in the trade. Really, your favorite player was in this trade. Luke Voigt. Luke Voigt. I, I Sounds like an Oakland AR. Cut the sleeves off. You're damn right. I He'd love be Luke a great A. He would. Uh, Where would we play him? You know what? I don't care. Let's put him in the lineup. I love him. He'll hit jacks. He'd be a great. You want a beer league softball guy? Luke Voigt's your guy. He's John Jaha, as Roy Steele used to say. John Jaha. He's John Jaha reincarnated. It's a good pull. I can see it. Wouldn't that be great? I'd love to have Luke. You love. You love. I do. He's been. You've been a very big Luke Voigt fan for years. He was on like nine teams this year. Um, most recently, the the I think he was with the Mets AAA team hitting jacks. And he had a bunch in was at AAA Syracuse. I'd love if Voigt was on the A's. I, I, you know what? By the way, you want another A? How about a guy that uh, used to have the most beautiful? He doesn't have the same locks, does he? Syndergaard? I don't. Oh, did he? Come but out? he had the beautiful locks. Yeah, he, I mean, him and Degrom, the hair was just flowing. Thor. I mean, he looked like Thor. Sounds like an Oakland ARA. Who need? If there was a team that needs innings right now, who is that? Uh. In the American League, it's the A's. We need somebody to pitch innings, right? The Giants need innings. I was gonna, I was gonna, I that's mean, why I said American League. There's plenty <laughs> of teams. Okay, can I get a body that can give me some innings? How about Syndergaard with the A's? Pick him up. Let's go. He was actually better with the Guardians than he was the Dodgers. Let's go. But he got DFA'd after How yesterday. How great would he look in the white uni? The white cleats. White cleats. I would Six, what is he, 6'5"? Yeah, he's big. Uh, he would look great, but I just don't. I mean, he's 30. It fits the M.O. I mean, a lot of our guys we claim off waivers are over 30. All right. You want Zach Neal or you want Noah Syndergaard? You got the cachet of Syndergaard, but. Give me some Noah Syndergaard. Sounds like an Oakland A already. But getting back to the ecosystem. Right now, Juan Soto has a war of four. Remember, war is just a, a, it's a nice guide. It's not the end-all, be-all. But C.J. Abrams, who is a shortstop, kind of light stick, really good defensively. His defensive metrics are good. Steals bases. Steals bags, runs. I mean, if you take him and McKenzie Gore, left-handed pitcher, if you take the two of them combined this year for the Nats, their war is higher and you got to count all the what was the guy Susana Susana Susana, Susana, Susana yeah. So he's one of the guys that could be good out of that trade. But I'm just looking at Abrams and Gore. Woods, the guy to watch. Their WAR is four point six. It's high. It's a two for one right now, and they're paying one point four five million for their four point six WAR. The Nats, while the Padres are paying twenty three million for a four WAR and Juan Soto, and they have the same record at sixty one and seventy. And Dan O'Dowd mentioned something. It made me think of the A's. It made me think of the Yankees. And in layman's terms, when your front office plays like fantasy baseball, where you're just thinking about 
how do I get names? How do I get names onto my team? Because that's how I'm going to win. And it's really how A.J. Preller of the Padres has not thought about at all how the pieces of the pie fit. How the pieces of the puzzle, I should say, fit. Just give me names. Give me that guy. I want Hater. I want Soda. I want... And the way Dan O'Dowd explained it, I'm going to do it a different way. I'm going to go to the ecosystem. So you have this organization. It's an ecosystem, right? And is everything healthy? Well, the way Dan was explaining it and the way he was doing it was that when you go about trying to build a team like this, because they learned to do it really the right way in Cleveland, where they mixed young core with guys in their prime and veteran players. A lot of people forget the Eddie Murrays of the world on those great Indian teams, right? They had all kinds of veteran guys. They had great players in their prime, like a Roberto Alomar, but then you'd have a guy like Eddie Murray, right? And then you have young guys like Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomei and those guys. Carlos Baerga, Charles Nagy, and all. So they mixed young, prime, and older veteran guys. God, they had Oral Hershiser at one point, Dennis Martinez. They had all kinds of veteran dudes. but And they constantly had a minor league system with Cleveland that had Brian Giles, Sean Casey, Richie Sexton. They had all these young guys. So you had an ecosystem that was strong, right? You had the major league system strong, minor league system strong. And it brings me to something that popped up the other day. The last 1,000 games, Codify put it on, 1,000 games. This is a few days ago. The last 1,000 games, who do you think has the best record? Dodgers. Who do you think second? Astros. Dodgers and Astros. 1,000 games, man. That's, that's many seasons, right? That's a long time. It's close to, what, eight or nine probably? So that is the Dodgers' ecosystem is always strong. They've got the big club that's strong. they got the minor leagues that's strong. The minor leaguers feed up to the big leaguers, and that's what Dan, Dan was basically saying. When you cut off your minor league system, and I remember when I first heard about this in like the probably would have been, when did Strawberry sign? It's Fred Clare. Some of you, Fred Clare, you probably have no idea who Fred Clare is. Fred Clare was the president of the Dodgers years ago uh, when they signed Daryl Strawberry and the Dodgers were using their financial might. Fred Clare famously said, you know, you really don't need a minor league system. You can just go buy players. 91 was his first year at the Dodgers. So it was around that, that 90. I remember I was in college. But Fred Clare was a famer, famous Dodger executive, and he was wrong. And what Dan was saying is when you don't allow for the ecosystem to constantly evolve, it's not good. You can add free agents, of course. But when you don't allow it, it's not healthy for the organization long term. And when he said that, it made me think of this last last thousand games where the Dodgers and the Astros have won the most games. And it makes me think back because right now there is a generation of people who their entire life all they've seen is the Yankees win. They forget about when I was a kid growing up and the Yankees sucked. And the Yankees never went to the playoffs, and their ecosystem was not healthy. It was so dysfunctional. And George Steinbrenner just wanted to buy players, and it was a mess. 
And what saved the Yankees in a lot of ways was Steinbrenner and his dealings with that criminal and trying to find the dirt on Dave Winfield. And they took Steinbrenner out of the organization. And Gene Michael took over. And they started focusing again on their minor league system, which later would bring what? A strong ecosystem where you would have this group of players coming up, a Derek Jeter, Mariano Rivera, Andy Pettit, Jorge Posada, a bunch of guys. Then you'd mix it in with guys that you would buy and you would trade for. It became a healthy thing that led them to where they've been all these years. Padres don't have that. And it's one of the reasons why they are where they are, because inside that room, it does not work. Their ecosystem does not work. And it just goes to show, like with the A's, think what we've done. Hodgepodge of fighting all these different guys, doing that in 12, 13, 14. Yeah, it works, but there's not a healthy, constant environment, right? That's what we have lacked. And when you go into a rebuild like what we're doing right now, that's purely not healthy because the big club's not healthy. Not everything's healthy in the ecosystem. You're hoping what you're doing will eventually lead to that. But right now, we're not there. And for years, we have not seen a large number of our minor league players get to the big club, have a chance. And I was thinking about 2021 when hindsight's 2020 and I agreed with it I'm not going to I'm not going to say what they did was wrong but the boat was taken on water in 2021 big time and the thought was to save it you got to go get something to energize the team and Marte and Gomes and Jay Hay and bringing those guys in and it wouldn't be enough and the team would only win 86 games but to play the arm toward armchair quarterback what would have happened if you keep jesus lazardo now he's been a 500 pitcher with around a four era it's gone up and down and up and down he's hovered around four he can be up he can be down depending on a couple starts but if you had him now you probably would move him anyway but now you'd be moving for something that could help you long term to feed the ecosystem you got rid of them, and it was for a quick punch that didn't work. Marte was fabulous, by the way. He was fat. There's no question. Loved, loved every, loved every, he, he will go down as one of my favorite A's to watch, even though he was barely here, right? He reminds you of Riggy Anderson. He was like the, he was like, wow, this is what it was like. And I remember doing postgame shows saying Marte was, this kids, this is what it was like to watch Ricky Anderson play. Every single time he gets on, he was stealing bases, hit for power, doubles, made great plays in the outfield. Marte played like a beast. Well, he was playing for a contract, and he was trying to help the A's get into the postseason. But that's the thing that teams need to get to is even though the Dodgers have only won one World Series, and it was in the COVID year, they've played in others, but they have a very strong organization top to bottom to where they have been able to spend a little less let younger players come up and try and help. That's what the farm system's there for. That's a healthy organization right there. That's what we need to strive to be, and that's what the Padres aren't, and that's why they're 61-70, and 70, the same record as the Nationals. 
the team they traded Juan Soto for. They're supposed to be the big winners in this. And right now, if you're sitting there looking, going, wow, I I mean, I, I don't know how many people would even know would even think about that. But yeah, the Padres and the Nationals have the exact same record on this date. August twenty eighth. That's pathetic. All right? I mean, that is that is that is big time pathetic. And it just got me thinking of where you want to be as an organization. You want to be able to have the health of the big league club. You want to be able to be able to go out and purchase players in free agency who you think can help. You want to be able to have a minor league system that can feed the big club. You want your minor leaguers to think, and you want the minor league coaches to think that the what you're doing, the work down there, can develop into big leaguers. Now, I think there's been times where we we have just we've gotten nothing from our minor league system. And the the strength of the A's has always been looking at other people's systems and grabbing people from other people's systems. Well, that can be a nice story. But, you know, you've got to start producing your own players. And that's why it's been fun to watch Geloff and Butler and watch. We're starting to do that, and hopefully more of it's coming, and that's what needs to happen. But you've got to have a strong ecosystem. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The Angels are doing it. It's actually smart. I don't know which CBT level they're at, the luxury tax. See, I don't think people think about this, but what they're doing is they're going to get under because it doesn't matter until the end of the season. So by getting rid of these guys, they're going to get a whatever tax they're at, they're going to get under. So it's actually a very savvy move because what people are thinking about right now is you gave up all those players to get these guys. How stupid is that? Well, in the end, by making these moves, you're going to get under whatever level they're at. Now that saves you money. You're trying to re-sign Otani. If Otani leaves, you now have think about that. Think about if you're the Angels and Otani leaves. Well, you were talking about how great he was, and this guy's a unicorn. Well, now he's just a hitter. Great hitter, but he's just a hitter. You free up a lot of money, once again, to go buy a bunch of puzzle pieces because right now everybody likes to talk about our, our guys. Our guy Dan O'Dowd has coined the aircraft carrier, which is like the most important part of your Navy is your aircraft carriers. So great players is aircraft carriers. How many aircraft carriers do you want? How many do you need? Do you need more destroyers? Do you need more different smaller boats? You need some aircraft carriers, but what do you put around? You need some subs. 
having too many aircraft carriers may not be a great thing. You only need so many if you're talking about in baseball terms. So if Otani leaves, think about the money you were budgeting for Otani. You can go out and spend on a bunch of different guys. That's, you know, if just the, I mean, I, I hope the Angels stink forever. But you could look at it from a smart baseball side as, hey, let's just go get a bunch of good players. Right? Like, even, even though I can't stand the Giants, Giants don't have an aircraft carrier. They're only got to make it over 20. So they're winning games. Go get a bunch of guys. I mean, who's the aircraft carrier? I guess you could say J-Rod. I mean, Julio. But he's like a brand-new aircraft carrier that just got out into the water. Who else would be an aircraft carrier for the Mariners? Mm, I got to look None. up. I got to look up the contracts for Castillo and Robbie Ray. Castillo's only making like he's, Rob- he's under twenty. Well, yeah. So, well, so is Robbie Ray, but I think um, you got to be under. You got to be over twenty. To over be twenty, yeah. Robbie and I don't even think Julio's making twenty this year. His deal was five for one fifteen. So yeah, that's not twenty. What's Julio making this year? Oh, hold, hold on. I was looking at Robbie Ray, but he's not even pitching. Robbie Ray's out. Yeah, he's sending Tommy John. I was trying to see what his salary. Yeah, Tommy John. That's a shocker. Yeah. Oh, his salary this year is twenty one. So Robbie Ray's an aircraft carrier. Well, he's out, so he doesn't count. That's probably why he wasn't. Oh well, I don't know. They included Steven Strasburg on the Nationals. Um, remember his deals all. It's like Fernando Tatis has to start making like thirty million dollars until he's like twenty nine years old. Um, J Rod this year is making this is six point one million. So I'm gonna 6. go. 2, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and say that the Mariners don't even have an aircraft carrier. He doesn't make $20 million until 2025. So they don't have an aircraft carrier. Yeah, I think what I saw was uh, eight, eight of the 30 teams don't even have, don't have a guy, any guys making $20 million. Eight of the 30? Yeah. Well, we, One of them's the Giants. Hey, we've got Trevor May. Okay, we're two of them. No, we're, no, we're another one. <laughs> Remember, what was it? 40% of our payroll was invested in four guys. There are 13 teams with a $200 million payroll. Four of the six teams with the highest payrolls in baseball – that are committed to aircraft carriers that did the research, they're not in the playoffs. Wait, what? Four of the six teams with the air. I think I took a picture of it. Teams have aircraft carriers. Uh, four of the six. That are means not- you got to make over 20 a year. Correct. Um, where was it at? Um, yeah. Um, Yankees, not in. Mets, not in. Padres, not in. Uh, Angels, not in. Nationals, not in. So how many do the Mets have? Um the Mets, according to this, oh, they, oh, that was super carrier. Uh, well, the Mets, <laughs> you got the, the super carrier. The super carrier with the guys, our guys make over twenty-seven million. The Mets have three that. of them. If you look at the super carriers, but is that still counting Scherzer and and, yeah. and Verlander? Yes, yeah. that still has to count, even though they've been moved on. If you look at the the super carriers, the Angels not in, Yankees not in. Uh, they both, oh, they both have three each. Mets three not in. Uh, Rangers are in. Nationals not in. Dodgers in. So, I guess I did off the super carrier. Sorry. And quickly for all our friends on YouTube who think they know but they really don't know, give me the attendance that goes with these super carriers. Because uh, okay. we are told that you got to sign players, got to sign stars to have attendance. Angels have three super uh, super carriers. That's twenty seven mil or more. Okay. Um, that's forty one six forty one point six percent of their payroll. They're eleventh in attendance. Okay, so they're not top ten. Uh, Yankees, they have three super carries. That's thirty-four point four percent of their payroll. They're second in attendance. 
Okay. Uh, the Mets, three of them. I don't think you can do – I don't think any – I think it's getting to a point, and it doesn't get brought up enough, that we cannot compare cities that have 8 million or more people just in city limits to cities that have nowhere even near close to that. It's just not – forget apples to apples. It's a ridiculous – like – a city that has 400,000 people in it, you can't compare them to a city that has 8 million people in it. Yeah, I agree. That's ridiculous. We're just talking in city limits, right? I'm not talking county. I don't talk counties around it. I'm talking in your city limits. How do you compare New York City to Tampa? How do you compare Oakland to Los Angeles? Pittsburgh to Chicago. I mean, L.A. has more people in it than the entire Bay Area counties, right? There were like seven, right? They got what? How many people are in Los Angeles, California? Population, hold on. Population, Los Angeles. Oh, wait a minute. I'm totally wrong. Says it's only three point eight million. I that's from twenty twenty one. They haven't received the new data. Oh, it's New York that's eight million. Anyway, okay, so almost foot. That was so let's say four million. How do you compare four million to four hundred? It's not fair. So next next thing on the list, the Mets, they have three super carriers. Ah, this is where I was going. Wait a minute, I knew I wasn't insane. I knew I wasn't insane. Los Angeles County, 9.8 million. It's a lot of people. Los Angeles, I knew I wasn't Just crazy. Just round out the 10. I knew I wasn't crazy. I'm like, I know that. Los Angeles County has 9.83 million in 2021. Let's go to Alameda County because that is what the A's are in. 1.649. So... A's County, and I know there's other counties, but there's other counties around L.A. L.A.'s County is 9.83 million, 9. million. A's is 1.64. How are you even – you can't, like – the humanity around the Dodgers is insane. So, the Mets. All right. Three super carriers. Remember, 27 mil or more. 32% of their payroll, they're 12th in attendance. Well, they're in New York. How come the Yankees are two and they're 12th? If you have superstars, supposedly people show up. Yeah, that's uh, not the case. Rangers have two super carriers. That's 29.8% of their payroll. They're 15th. They have a brand new stadium. They're 15th in attendance? Yeah. Wait a minute. They've been in first place. They got, they're spending big money, and they got a new building, and they're 15th in attendance. Yeah, I was looking at the attendance earlier. Uh, Nationals have, well, this is including Strasburg. This isn't fair. That's why I don't talk attendance, because you can poke holes in anybody's arguments when it comes to attendance. We'll leave Nationals anyway. One guy, 25.5% of their payroll is Strasburg. They're 23rd in attendance. And okay. then the Dodgers, they have two, 23.6% of their payroll. They're Let me guess. They're one. They're one. But four of those six They're teams, always one. Four of those six. It are, doesn't matter what's going on with them, there's one. They can have Frank McCourt. Everybody can hate the owner, and they're number one. Yeah, four of those six aren't in the playoffs. Remember Frank McCourt? Remember what a bozo Frank McCourt was? Yes. Using How'd they do in attendance? They're always number one. Or if not, they're number two. 
Well, they got in their county, in Los Angeles County, they got 9.83 million people can potentially come to a game, and they're not that far away. Yeah, they average like 47 million a game. 47,000 a game. Who Who is the smallest city in Major League Baseball? Probably Milwaukee. Like, how can you compare Milwaukee to Los Angeles County? Like, Los Angeles has 4 million people. The county's well, got almost 10. Milwaukee or Tampa, probably. I don't know how big St. Petersburg is, but. Oh, St. Petersburg. So, this small. is what I was looking at. And, and everybody there is retired. And we will get to the pitching ninja shortly. Teams with the most aircraft carriers, that's te- players make $20 million. Yankees have six. They're not in the playoffs. Mets have five. They're not in the playoffs. Phillies have five. They are in. Padres have five. They're nowhere close. Dodgers, four. They're in. Blue Jays, four. They're in. So, three of the three of the six are not in the playoffs. Who are the four? So, you got Mookie. You got Freddie. You got Kershaw's not making over 20 still, is he? Yeah, he dropped he does. He th- I thought he dropped down. He does. And uh, who are we forgetting on their team that makes over 20? And was there any, any any other other starters? They don't have any other starters. They're all hurt. What's JD Martinez making? No There's way is he making. making twenty. Yeah. Is he? Will Smith. I mean. Will Smith. Which Will Smith? Uh, the Dodgers catcher. Oh, the catcher. Oh, Kershaw's making exactly twenty. See, last year he made seventeen. I thought he went. Kershaw used to make thirty-one. He's uh, taking a pay cut. Wow. Well, according to uh, Cots contracts. <laughs> Freeman, Mookie Kershaw, and the great Jason Hayward. Yeah, but they're not paying that. Well, they have it on their payroll, though. It's twenty-two million. So there's their four. That's the four guys. No way. He was released. But his contract was through twenty twenty-three. That's fine. He's getting paid. That doesn't mean I they're. Don't, I don't know. That's what they have it on here as. So that's what. Uh, that's what baseball or uh, MLB Network had on MLB Now. They had. The Dodgers have four. And you mentioned the Angels, by the way, with their CBT. Their 40-man CBT right now, this is updated a couple of days ago, is at 241.7. The CBT is is 233 million, so they will most likely be under it. Yeah, that's the whole reason they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, Hayward's still making 21.28. Yeah, the Dodgers are paying him 720. You're, you're misinformation. I'm giving you the exact graphic that MLB now had on. Los Angeles Dodgers hey. are paying seven hundred and twenty thousand for him. The Cubs are paying twenty one point two million. I know Cos Contracts is telling me he's twenty two million. I'm I'm just reading the data. Wow. <laughs> Don't trust see? Statistics lie and liars use statistics. It is it is fascinating to see these teams spend so much money and lose. Because last year, <laughs> last year's teams who all spent money did well. Most of the teams in the playoffs spent money. Yeah, uh, they had it. I don't think I copied it down. So it's year to year. It's it, it can be. Yeah, top, the top five teams in payroll made the playoffs last year, and seven of the top nine made it overall. Just wondering. We are not against analytics, but, and I think even you have seen the error in your ways. Maybe you haven't. That analytics isn't everything. You just can't base everything off whatever number it is you want, whatever it is, whatever measurement. It's tough to say because it's not the old days. Sabermetrics was math equations. Now we have so much that's about data that's coming from radar, which is essentially StatCast, TrackMan. It's tracking how the ball you're swinging. Uh, that that's not a that's not Hawkeye. That's not 
OPS plus. That's not weighted runs created plus. Runs created weighted with a plus. A lot of people don't even know weighted rated runs created plus. It's from runs created. Correct. Which is actually, I like that. It's, it's a great stat because it's still, hey, do you produce me runs or not? What are you doing to affect the game? But anyway, the stuff that you're getting from the high-speed cameras and Rapsodos and, and, and TrackMan and all that and, and StatCast, that, that's, that's all measurement of radar from radar. So, but all of that, in the end, it's about how you play. I asked this because this question that I asked our general manager came from the criticism of the Yankees and the way they're in the minor leagues. And a minor leaguer for the Yankees spoke out about saying, hey, listen, they don't care if you strike out. They don't care if you get out. As long as you hit the ball hard, exit velocity, barrel rates, that's all that matters. They had their own way to judge people. And as peer, they don't care how you play defense. They don't care how you run the bases. They don't care how you play the game. They just were like, how hard do you hit the ball all the time? That's all they care about. And I asked about our philosophy, and I wanted to play you our general manager, David Forrest, and this is what he had to say on A's Cast Live. Talked about exit velo, barrel rates, like barrel rates. All that crap goes out the door when the guys get here. When they're here, it's results. Like we use that stuff to project and, to, you know, to sort of, set expectations and make trades and evaluate players like when you're here when you're in the big leagues you get hits you score runs you drive in runs like the results matter here and and zach's doing it all i don't i don't know the average exit velo of all his hits i don't know the ridiculous launch angle of some of his homers though i see i saw the fly ball in in washington that was crazy it was i was (laughs) i was there with the team we're sitting behind home plate and it looks like a pop-up and then it goes and it goes and it goes so we don't track a lot of that stuff in the big leagues because when you're here, results count. What do you say to that? All that crap you throw out and it's about results. What do you say to that? Yeah, not, I'm in your face. I know. He's not wrong. <laughs> well, John Carlos Stanton, who did Stanton talk to? I texted you. Um, it was um, – I think I have it on there. It's one of their Yankee honk riders. Um, it was a guy from the New York Post, I believe. Uh, did I put it in here? It was uh, Dan Martin of the New York Post. Who? Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I have no idea. But anyway, Dan Martin. So Giancarlo Stanton was very honest because he's having a tough year. And I have been one who have said, you know, we're interested in a DH and they want to pick up the majority of the salary. That sounds like an Oakland A already, right? Doesn't doesn't that like reek of big hurt, Mike Piazza, old man move? justice? Yo, ho, ho, ho. hey, he said call him anytime. Remember that? Yeah, he did. That was la- that was already a year ago. And you, yeah, what, what you gonna get him or not? But anyway, doesn't John Carlos Stanton sound like a great Oakland? Older guy, can come in, be a mentor, UDH. Close to home, he's from L.A. I know that totally goes against everything I've been saying with the young guys. (laughs) Sometimes I, hey, Omaha, we got to call. You're going to tell me the Yankees are going to pick up basically the entire salary to take him? All right, real quick, would you rather have him or Luke Voigt? Sorry to your good friend Luke (laughs) Voigt. Have both. And you and Luke. 
Luke Voigt is our third baseman. <laughs> Who says John Carlo can't play first? Uh, you don't want to play. In I have field. Ryan Noda because what does Noda do? He gets on base. Put him in left field. Ryan Noda has reached base in 15 of 29 plate appearances in seven games since coming off the IL. 15 of 29. What does he do? He gets on base. His 386 on base percentage is fourth in the American League. When is the last time, and I'm asking this question without having any idea, so it could, when's the last time we had a guy with this high of an on base percentage? I'd have to go and look through. Jason Giambi. Yeah, that's a good pull. But you're right about Wouldn't be your guy Chapman. Hey, bye, everybody, Chapman. Go to MLB.com, look up Matt Chapman, and go look at Matt Chapman. You sent me the numbers today. Go look month to month. Go to MLB.com, look up Matt Chapman, go to Game Logs, and you can see month to month. I'm telling you, we'll all be thankful someday he didn't sign the long-term deal. Be right about Ryan Noda. He does. He gets on base. He gets on base. But Giancarlo Stanton, I, 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 get, I actually give him – I don't know much about him, right? He was such a great player in Miami. He was an MVP, signed that big deal. He's gone to New York. He has definitely hit. He's hit in, in postseason, but he's just never been able to be healthy. When you're not healthy, it's tough to be consistent. And But he's hitting 202 with a 723 OPS this year. Yeah, but for his career with the Yankees, when yeah. he's been healthy, he's, he's been put good. up numbers. Yeah. And he – he always, well, as he mentioned, and they asked him about the article, he always has good exit velocity and launch angle. So they've been looking. He's like, the data's there, but then he had to say, to hell with the data. Yeah, his quote was, I'm at the point of the year where none of that stuff matters. And what did David Forrest say? Throw that crap out. They were showing today, I can't remember what show I was watching on MLB Network. Well, they showed, because I didn't get to see the Giants and Braves game yesterday. But that game had a lot of runs that were scored off balls that really weren't hit that hard because it's a game. It's 162 games. What you do in each individual game matters. And Giancarlo Stanton has not been productive despite hitting the ball hard when he has hit the ball. First of all, he doesn't hit the ball enough. That's Correct. the problem. Correct. Right? Stop telling me how hard you hit it when you finally do make contact. You need to make more contact. How about fillet a few more into right field for base hits? That's the thing. The more production you do, you've got to be productive. And we have too many guys that they're so focused. And let's face it, like Eno Saris will say, well, you're going to be a better player if you hit it harder and have more barrels. Well, John Carlos Stan's going, you know what, that's not working. Because when he does hit it, he hits it hard. Problem is, he doesn't hit it enough. There's too many of these guys that don't hit it enough. And it's better to actually put the ball in play and be a productive player. I'm just going to look it up real quick because we're getting close. Uh, so many, what the most games John Carlos ever played for the Yankees. Ooh. Has he ever played more than 140? Yes, once. Once? He played 158 in the first year as a Yankee. Played 139 in 2021, 110 in 2022, and he's a 79 this year. What did he play in the COVID year? 23, 28, 20. 19 when he was 29 years old. No, 20. Oh, no, no, he played 19 games in 2019, 18 games in 2019, 23 in 2020. In 2020. He so played 23 years, games in the 60 game schedule. Yeah, in a span of two oh years, in a span of two seasons, he played 41 games. Oh my God. And he hit seven home runs. Yeah, I mean, 
what do you, how are you productive if you never hit? But when he hits it, it's it's great. When he hits it, it's hard. And it goes far. Great. Give me somebody that's productive. That's hitting the ball. I, Zach Geloff has shown every – has Zach Geloff hit everything hard? Nope. He hits it all over the ballpark. He's productive. You know, he's a little bit of a slump right now. This will be good to see. Two for his last 20, his last five games. But where you hit balls up the middle, you hit balls to the right side, you slam one down the left field line for a double, you hit one out to right center, you hit one down to right field for a double, rip one out to left field. Like He's hitting it all over. He's using the whole field. A good hitter gets hits. And he hits a lot of ball hard, but he hits a lot of balls not hard. But he's hitting it where there's grass and not people. There's just something about it. By the way, one of the greatest Yankees of all time. Can't stand him. All the respect in the world. Is Derek Jeter in the Hall of Fame because of exit velocity? No, he's not in there for his defense. Did you want to see Derek Jeter up there in a crucial situation? He was a very clutch hitter, yes. But wait a minute. What was his barrel rate? Um, couldn't tell you. See, max exit velocity for uh, Zach Geloff is in the – it's blue, meaning it's not great. But it's all over the place. They don't have his um, watch angle and all that stuff. I mean, just think about that. What Do you want a guy that's productive or do you just want to look hey, – he hits the ball really hard. Look, there's a spray chart for his hits this year. They're all over the place. Yeah. Zach Geloff hits the ball all over the place, and it's refreshing. Well, it is always a special treat to have the Pitching Ninja on A's Cast Live. How are you doing? I am doing great. How are you? We're going ninja to ninja. I busted out my ninja it. hat today. Yeah, we are. That is fit. It looks great on you, by the way. I think it's. I, I. You really got maybe the coolest logo in sports. Like this is. This has gotten to be so great. It's almost like a team needs to pay you and adopt it as their logo. They really should. Yeah, I mean, pay me a lot is what they should do. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> sure, you want to be the San Antonio Ninjas? No problem. Step I want right up, baby. Yeah, step right up. <laughs> so, how are you doing? How's life? How's business? It is busy, man. It is. Uh, we're coming down the stretch. Got a lot of. There's a lot of baseball. I get worn out every day. It's a lot of games. Well, you're watching a lot of pitching, and at this time of the year. We start to notice some things. It's called fatigue. It's been a long grind. That's why they call this the dog days, because you started in spring training. You've gone through so much. April, May, June, July, August now. It's been a lot of flights. It's been a lot of hotel rooms. It's so rough on you physically and maybe even tougher mentally as you're grinding so much. Do you start to see this at this time of the year, a little fatigue in pitchers? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I, I think some guys are less sharp. Other guys are just coming into their own, too. And don't forget, there are guys that played in WBC, too. That, Yeah. It, I mean, that, that was really, really high-level baseball for a short period of time, and then you're coming back to earth and then have to build up again for the season. It's a lot, and I think we ignore it sometimes. Like, it's these humans get worn down. All right. Uh, one of the things I want to get into with you today is the sweeper, because I work with some old baseball people who obviously want to view the game differently than some of us view it today. And they're like, don't tell me that a sweeper is a new pitch. It's just a flat slider. I'm not going to tell you which A's great gets pissed when I bring up the sweeper, 
But I'm just going to tell you when I go, well, it's a sweeper. That's not a sweeper. So tell me truly, is there a difference between a slider and a sweeper? There absolutely is. And I'm not saying, look, number one, it's not necessarily a new pitch. There are guys that have thrown sweepers, mostly inadvertently over the years. Like you have a Dave Steve who had a big, you know, a sweeping slider. But recently we've been, we've been able to break down why the pitch moves the way it does because of the way the seams rotate through the air. And you can actually make the ball move more horizontally than down. And usually most people think of a slider as something that would have more gyro bullet spin and break more straight down. That's what we would call a traditional slider. As you get more, it's 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 kind of a scientific principle that makes the ball move that way. Some people lucked into it over the years, but now we can teach more and more pitchers to do it. And some guys throw both. So like you have to have a name for it. I understand that people don't like change. I get that. <laughs> but but you have like you have a two seamer and a sinker, right? Like a you can throw both of them on two seams, but a, a sinker will take will tend to go more down. A two-seamer, you can throw it a front hip and break over the plate or backdoor it. It's horizontal movement. We call those two different things. You wouldn't call a two-seamer that breaks horizontally a sinker because it really doesn't sink. So the idea, I had this discussion with Sonny Gray, for example, and he got it. He was like, oh, yeah, just like my two-seamer, I don't call it a sinker because I want it to break horizontally. So all we're doing is naming something that we've now been able to develop more and more. More pitchers do it because we now know why it does what it does. But it's not new. Like a square, like a square is a rectangle, right? But it's a special rectangle. You know, four sides and all that. The only thing that scares me about the sweeper, and, and thinking back to my pitching days, is I know that a flat slider gets hit harder than any other pitch. It just screams hit me. Trust me, I threw a ton of them. So I'm worried I get that sweeper coming horizontally, but it's not getting in or getting to where I want it to go. If that thing's hanging over the middle of the plate, we got problems. There's going to be like danger, danger, danger signs going off. Oh, you're, and you're not wrong about that. I mean, and the other thing is just because it's new doesn't mean everybody should throw it. There are guys that have tried to throw it. Act. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked to Josh Hader and he had developed a sweeper and then scrapped it because he wanted more of a bullet spin, less break, because you can control it better. It works better with his fastball. There's more deception. So, you know, just because it's a trendy thing doesn't mean everybody's got to add a, a sweeper, because if they do, they might it might get hammered. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. No way. Yeah, just because everybody wants to play basketball like Michael Jordan or play <laughs> golf like Tiger Woods doesn't mean you can. And I, I, I remember back to the late 80s and Roger Craig, everybody wanted the split finger, split finger. Yeah, well, I got small, I got small hands. It doesn't work for me. I'm just throwing that thing in the dirt over and over again. My, well, I was better with the circle change. I mean, just because a lot of people are doing it doesn't mean it's going to work for you. You nailed it because that's the other thing is some people can throw a good circle change that they can pronate. Other guys can't pronate very well. So you recommend them maybe a splitter and the splitter is becoming more in vogue. I would say that's got a chance at being even a bigger pitch than the sweeper. You know, it's not a new pitch, but yeah. guys really want to develop splitters. Now you saw what, what team Japan did in the world baseball classic, every one of them threw splitters. And we're seeing more and more guys. Logan Gilbert developed a splitter. George Kirby developed a splitter. You're seeing more and more guys develop it because it works. Like, it, that is a nasty yeah. pitch. It looks like a fastball and dives. 
you know, my generation, they wanted us to dig so far in, right? And I think that's why it didn't work for me. And you could feel it in your elbow. You don't have to dig all the way in. I mean, if you're just looking at a fastball and you split your fingers a little bit, that's all you need to do is it's disruption of timing. It's just it looks like a fastball, drops a little bit. That is the key to the pitch instead of what they wanted, the old forkball and get your hands at. You don't have to get it all the way. So young pitchers, it's just a little bit of change on your grip. You don't have to dig it all the way in there. I think that was the problem that we looked at in the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah, I think that's probably right. I mean, you have a guy like Joan Duran for the Twins who throws a splinker, which is a combination of a splitter and a sinker. So he, does, he doesn't way split his fingers. He narrowly splits his, splits his fingers. He throws it. He can throw it 101 miles an hour. So you're throwing a 101 mile an hour pitch that dives like a splitter. That is, you know, but that's just ridiculous. But yeah, you, anything. Okay, that wait, what timing, do we call? We're calling it a splinker. <laughs> we are. It's he. He came up with it. I didn't make that up. Yeah, it's not a I love name. It. Yeah, but it's a combination. It's it's because he throws it so hard. You, it's hard to call it a splitter at 101 miles an hour. Yeah. But if you watch it, you would say, that looks like a splitter to me. It is an insane pitch. And you're right. Like, nothing is new in terms of the goal of the game. The goal of the game is to disrupt the hitter's timing. We know how to do it a little more through science and whatever. But old-time guys disrupted timing, too. And we're coming back to a lot of that stuff. Like, they had a lot of it right. We're just now being able to replicate it a little more. All right. So, uh, next time I do TV with Dave Stewart, I think it's on the 8th. I'm going to have someone film it. I'm going to go, Dave, we got a new pitch. It's called the Splinker. I can't wait to get his reaction, and I'm going to send it to you. Oh, absolutely. And show him show him what in 100 and – like, I think it's one of the filthiest pitches I saw all yeah. year. I mean, it's crazy. And and he may freak out about it. Like, it's it's downright – you know, it's a deadly pitch. I, I, I'm just going to start saying it and see what people's reactions are. <laughs> hey, he threw a hell of a Splinker. I can't wait. Stuart will just, he'll just stare at you with that mean look. Oh, he'll be angry. He gets yeah. angry and he's a black belt and he just, it, 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 it won't end well. I'm just going to tell you that. Um, when you start looking at Cy Young award now, and I'm thinking about specifically the national league. I know Steele's going tonight. Uh, how, how are we going to look with such a lack of production? Like, it's great to see what guys stuff and all this unbelievable things guys can do with the baseball now. But still, I need innings. I need people to go deep in games. I, I How are we going to look long-term, do you think, at the pitching awards when we're getting far less volume than we've ever had before? Yeah, I think you're going to have to kind of average. Like, I love what Sandy Alcantara did last year, putting up good numbers for a lot of innings. That's the ideal thing. Like he was both a throwback pitcher and a new age pitcher. And, and he started to do it again, by the way. He's kind oh, of he's, Stella's yeah. got her groove back. Oh, yeah. And he and he never should have lost it. Like that dude is a stud. Um, you know, it's hard to say. You have to, you do want innings. And and being good over a longer haul is more valuable to your team and a more valuable pitcher than someone that is good over a short period of time, unless they're really, really good over a short period of time. I think there's a higher hurdle for a guy that throws less, that throws fewer innings. Um, not to say you shouldn't win it if you throw fewer innings, but you've got to really impress me um, to do it versus a guy that throws more innings and also puts up good numbers. Talking about impressing you, like what do we got tonight? We got like, we got a ton of games. 
there's going to be thousands of pitches thrown tonight. And you're going to watch probably hundreds of pitches. And you do it every single day. At this point, what impresses you now that you've seen so much? What makes you go, oh, wow? You know, to me, there's some some of these rookies out there are incredibly good. So those guys, like seeing guys get called up, have live arms and are throwing just filthy stuff, that always impresses me. Um, And then you have guys, you know, the the off the charts guys, like I mentioned, Duran, who who, the splinker, he also throws a curveball at 90 miles an hour that dies and has hit 105 this year. So guys like that, I drop everything and, and I'll watch that. And then just, you know, it depends. Like I like guys who are crafty as well. I mean, give me if Kyle Hendricks is on a roll. I love watching that too. Like it just, it totally depends. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to get people out. There's no question. I've been talking about this. I I don't think enough people are talking about this because we're so enthralled by velocity. um, And we just don't know why guys elbows give out we just don't know there's not an orthopedic surgeon there's no one that's come out and there's no trainer there's no medical there's no study that someone says you do this you will get hurt but we have an alarming rate of tommy john surgeries going from big leagues to minor leagues to college to high school these kids and i've been trying to and i think you would agree because i know you've been around youth baseball surgery is not a good thing it is not a good option for some reason, people are accepting it like, oh, you know, you'll just get Tommy John. Whenever you get cut on, what it does to you physically, what it does to you mentally, it's a year of your life of rehab and trying to get back. I just hate that everybody sees this now as like some easy option. Um, I, I, to me, it's almost kind of cruel we're setting people up for this. They got to know that surgery and multiple Tommy Johns, this is not good for your life. Are you starting to worry? Because I know we love the velocity. We love pushing our bodies to the max. But the amount of guys that continue that we only hear of, we're not hearing about all the other guys, especially at the youth level, that are having the issues. Are you worried about this? I mean, you have to worry about it. I mean, watching players go through it and talking to them as they go through it. As a fan, you're sitting there going, oh, he'll be back in 18 months. But the stuff that they have to go through to get back, the disappointment, the being out of the game, the not being around their friends in the clubhouse, the everything. It's 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 definitely tough. I don't know the answer to it. If I did, I'd be rich. Um, rich. Yeah. You'd be <laughs> filthy rich. I would be. And there is, but the issue also is it's hard to tell pitchers to it's hard to tell a competitor to back off. You don't tell, I mean, you're not gonna tell a anybody like a basketball player don't jump as high or run as fast or, or wide wide out you know hey i'm not gonna i'm not gonna catch a ball over the middle because i might get a concussion they do this stuff um it's 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 one of the prices unfortunately for sport but even some of the slower throwing guys though can get tommy john just because you throw slow and you're a command guy doesn't mean you're not going to get it i don't think we know the answer um, you know, we said pitch counts and all that, which I have lowered it a little bit, but there's other, there's also a thing about conditioning your arm to make sure it doesn't get hurt and throwing a little more sometimes because it helps build up the muscles around your arm to protect the ligaments. So there's no one size fits all answer. Unfortunately, Billy Bean said, anybody who figures it out will be a billionaire. Maybe he and I should get into it and try to figure this out. I mean, seriously, I mean, I know the pitching ninja thing's going great for you, but I don't, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you rather be a billionaire? 
I would way rather be a billionaire. Yeah. I'd still probably do this stuff. Imagine what, can you imagine the amount of fun you could see? Like people go, Oh, money doesn't cure problems. Yeah. We'd still have problems, but boy, we could have a lot of fun with those problems. Yeah. I'd I'd care a little bit less about my problems. No doubt. (laughs) You got anything new coming out? What, what, what's what, what? Cause you always have something going on. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. I don't know. Like during the season and stuff, I'm interviewing Greg Maddox on Thursday. How's that? That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's going to be fun. I just just confirmed it. How good is that? It's pretty darn good. Like, I mean, I don't know if you see this. There's this art on the back and it's like 100 Greg Maddox baseball cards underneath it. It's above my glowing ninja over there. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think that's going to be fun. And maybe we'll ask him some of these questions about like velocity. I mean, I'm going to ask him that, right? You have to velocity over movement over over command and see what he says you know he i can tell you listen to so many interviews he he stopped chasing velocity that's when he got better but obviously the game was a little bit different maddox is interesting because he's a slow talker always remember that you're not going to get like these he's not a fast-paced guy maddox is a i got to meet maddox at the las vegas school of baseball when i was an instructor years ago Got to talk to him, got to listen to him, talk to the the camp, because, you know, he's a Las Vegas guy. He's absolutely fascinating, and he's funnier than hell. He's one of the sneakiest funny guys in the history of the game. Yeah, and that's what I want to dig into. Like, I want to get him – I mean, that's my interview style anyway, right? Like, I like the – I don't want to hear myself talk because I know what I say. I want to hear – I want to hear him talk. Key is to get him going, right? Like, I got to yeah. figure out a way to to get him to start talking. Where is it? Where can we see this? Could the, the full interview? It will be on my YouTube channel when it comes out. And again, haven't done it yet. Don't know if it's going to be good or not. Cause I do have that same concern about like getting him to open up a little bit, but I told him to bring a baseball. We're going over pitch grips. We're going, we're going yeah. deep into this. And uh, my hope is that it's going to be really good. Well, you need to let us know so we can promote it and make sure we get as many eyeballs on this thing as possible. Absolutely. Like he's on the Mount Rushmore of guys I wanted to. I interviewed uh, Nolan Ryan in the offseason too, which was a lot of fun. Talk about opposites, right? Like Nolan Ryan, one of the hardest throwing pitchers ever. You could say the hardest throwing pitcher ever if you want to. Um, and then you have Greg Maddox, who's just a pitching artist. And to contrast them, very different. Well, I we, I was talking about the other day. And, and, and when Shohei went down, and we've had so many guys go down lately, I said, hey, there's only one guy in the history of the game, who's gone full throttle for over 20 years. There's only one. It's an old Ryan. Because everybody's body somehow, like even Randy Johnson, who didn't have arm problems, his back. Randy Johnson had big-time back problems. Roger Clemens kind of lost it, PEDs. There's one guy that brought it for over 20 years. And you think of all the thousands of pitchers, only one guy's been able to do it. That's Nolan Ryan. Yeah, and then well, his UCL finally gave out, but he was like forty-five years old. Twenty-six so. years in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> I mean, that's gonna happen when you're throwing ninety something at that age. Like, it's good. Let's call it a career. We're not gonna be doing that when we're fifty or something like that. But I do. Can you imagine when you look back on that? And I know we gotta go, but give it. You look back on that. Can you imagine? You're forty-six years old, still playing baseball with guys who are like twenty-two, twenty-three. I mean, how odd, just how odd would that be? Yeah, like you started your career, the dude wasn't born yet. It is it is crazy. And, you know, and 
he's one of those guys. I don't think he got got caught up in the the newest things. He just did what he was going to do. Although he invented stuff, like he was the first dude who was in the weight room pumping iron. Everybody said you're going to get too big to throw and stuff. He was ahead of his time on a lot of things. Oh my God, he'd like finish his outing. And then he'd go work out. The press hated. No, they loved him because he's a great guy. But the press hated, like, you literally had to wait around for an hour after the game because he was going to work out for an hour. He'd get on the bike. He'd lift weights. And then he'd come out and talk to the media. So you had to wait an entire hour after the final out. Nobody ever did that. Hey, uh, we got to pimp the merch here. Where can we get the merch? Head on over to PitchingNinja.com, and we can get you can get a cool hat like ours. I'm telling I've I've been saying it for years. We have the uh coffee mug. There's so many things you have for a baseball fan. And before now that college football's here, we can start thinking about the fall, then you know, Christmas. And you always think about, hey, I need to get somebody a gift. I'm telling I love wearing my pitching ninja hat. I told you at a football game one time, some kid goes, pitching ninja. <laughs> so people know, and I guarantee you. You go to the website, you're going to love getting a gift for somebody, and they'll truly appreciate it. Hey, all the best. Love your work. Love what you do. And uh, let's do this again soon. And I can't wait. Make sure you let us know when the Maddox interview goes down so we can promote it. Will do. Absolutely. And thanks for having me again. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is Lance ready? Uh, yeah. We'll get him on now. Lance, welcome to A's Cast Live. How are you doing? I'm great. How about you guys? Uh, well, I got to tell you, I have taken, I've adopted the Chicago Cubs. What we do every year is we'll take a team in the National League. Last year, my partner was going with the Phillies. This year, I'm like, I love how the Cubs said, you know what? Because the Cubs were here. Nico Horner, you know, is an Oakland guy. So we're like, yep. I love how the Cubs said, you know what? We're going to stick with it. Why not? Let's let it roll. And knowing the the way the parties are at Wrigley, I'm never against like, hey, we don't think it's going to happen. Let's trade some guys away. But I like how the Cubs said, you know what? We're in for the fight and they're being rewarded. What's it like right now? Uh, it's, it, the vibes are immaculate. Yeah, this series in particular, I was actually just in the Cubs clubhouse and there's a lot of local media in knowing it's a huge series against the Brewers, obviously. So. Yeah. The vibes have been fantastic. I mean, there's a ton of energy in the stadium. There always is. Even last year when this team wasn't playing well down the stretch, they were, they were still almost selling out the ballpark, which is just standard Wrigley field practice. But it's been great. Like you got The team is clicking, I think, on a variety of cylinders. You know, They're not slugging a ton, but their offense is still pretty strong. It rates above average versus lefties and righties, right-handed pitching, left-handed pitching. You know, they're hitting. They have some breakout guys. They've done a pretty good job of, like, eking out some fifth, sixth starters. 
and Javier Assad and uh, now Jordan Wicks, who pops up and pitches pretty well when they need an extra arm in there. So it's it's been a great mix. All right, Strowman. Everybody was talking. You got to go get Strowman. You got to go get Strowman. Then obviously he's hurt. Where where are we with Marcus Strowman? Yeah, it's a great question. I think uh, there's been no update from what I understand. I believe he's getting checked out today or tomorrow per the Cubs PR staff. Um, you know, it's it's kind of up in the air. I think, you know, I he was off for a little before yeah. uh, going down with the hip injury, I believe. Um, and I remember at the deadline, I was saying like getting him back to his April, May version of himself would be better than pretty much any viable acquisition on the market. Cause he was pitching incredibly well for the beginning of the season and having that at the front line of rotation, that's down the stretch. You're going to play games against very meaningful teams and D backs. You have six games coming up. Another set against the Brewers after this one, you play the pirates again, you play the reds a couple times. Like these are really, really huge games to have him fronting a rotation. And then having a guy like steel drop back into two, as opposed to being ace, I thought was, was going to be huge. I'm honestly not sure. I don't, I don't have an angle on anything regarding him. Um, you know, he's been really fun to watch here. I, I'm just kind of waiting for him to come back. I think everyone's waiting for him to come back. You get him back for September in the stretch run, like Cubs in a five or seven game set feel a lot more devastating with Strom and Steele up front than Steele and whoever else you want to piece together in the two. Um, so that's just my, that's kind of my take on him. I, I don't know. I think we'll probably get an update sometime soon, though, in terms of how he's projecting. He heals quick, so. Well, I, one of the fascinating stories is you got a young guy who his father played in the big leagues. He shows up to one of the marquee franchises. He's such a tremendous player and athlete. He can yeah. play center. He can play first. He wins an MVP. Mookie Betts comes over to the Dodgers, signs for 360 or whatever it was, and you're thinking, Cody Bellinger's easily going to get 300. This guy's a future star. And then guess what? Life happens. Oh, yeah. life happens. Stuff happens, right? And all of a sudden, he's hurt. The swing's not the same. All of a sudden, he's just – he's terrible. L.A. doesn't want him to leave. And then when the Cubs were in Oakland earlier, that's right before his um, his significant other was about to have their second child. So when he was playing against us, like right after that, I believe she had the baby. And we were like, man, what, what just a, a rebirth of a career, his life, having his second child – it's all good again. He feels healthy. Just talk about what this year has been like for Cody Bellinger, still a very young man. It's been a huge resurgence, yeah. I mean, he's heading into the offseason now. He set himself up for a really nice pit. He's only 28 years old. I think next year will be his age 29 season, if I'm correct. Yeah. The biggest thing is cutting the strikeouts. Like, the crazy thing, I, I know everyone looks at those stat cast boards, right, where you just see red and blue, and it's like, red is good, blue is bad. And I think a lot of people have been skeptical of what Cody Bellinger is doing currently with like a 300 plus average and 20 bombs because most of the batted ball quality stuff on the Statcast page is blue. But I do think that this doesn't really capture the entire story and me being a data nerd myself. I think when he was rolling to start the year for the most part um, prior to going down with a slight injury that kind of held him up and that's kind of the one kind of uh, bottoming, I don't want to say bottoming out, but like a dip in his performance came right around when he, I think it was in Houston, he made a play in right center, really nice play and came down on his knee where it was on the aisle shortly then kind of ascended from after that. So you remove that and the two kind of chunks of the season that he's been good for. He's controlled the zone with two strikes really well. I think that is something that I believe sharp organizations are starting to model in to how they view a swing versus B swing, how they view a guy approaching account one, one versus approaching account two, two, you know, for example, 
Um, Bellinger in two strike counts has cut a basically swing and miss rate in half. I think that has been a really conscious adjustment for him. Yeah. It's really similar to what Ronald Acuna has done in the Braves year over year. If you look at any of his two strike statistics from 22 to 23, there's a clear, deliberate, you know, I am going to stop doing this with two strikes. I'm going to stop chasing. I don't know what it is. That's always one of the parts of hitting that I always find fascinating is that you can you can pretty easily kind of structure a good hitter right don't swing at balls you can't do damage on you know but actually then executing that is a completely different story and bellinger has found a really nice balance here where he doesn't have to barrel the ball 15 20 percent of the time like he did when he had 47 homers in 2019 he's found a balance where it's more a matter of putting the ball in play with two strikes and it's working you know whether it's sustainable is fascinating to me that's another question i think that front offices are going to answer for us i don't think we really need to answer it as analysts right they're going to be able to put down the money as to how they value Cody Bellinger going forward. Do they believe the two-strike approach is sustainable year over year? Do they think it's more fluky and that there'll be an adjustment back? You know, I think he's going to get paid. I'm very curious to see how much and kind of where the offers are coming from. I imagine the Cubs will be in the race there. You know, even with Pete Armstrong knocking on the door, the versatility of Bellinger to play first base, you know, supplement PCA and center, move him to a corner occasionally if you want. Like, his versatility helps a lot, but he's had a crazy good year, and I did not see this coming at all. No, and I hope he re-signs there. It could be a great story. They got the money. We'll we'll see how that's going to work. Speaking of the two strikes thing, I saw this crazy stat the other day. Willie Mays, obviously one of the greats of all time. Willie Mays, 301 career average. So, Tony Gwynn's career average with two strikes is higher than Willie Mays' overall average. I mean, it's like, it's crazy. Uh, I love when you analytics guys kind of, throwing the joke, the nerd thing, because we have Eno Saris. <laughs> you know Eno. I love Eno. Eno's on our show every single week. He's a Bay Area guy, so we have a weekly yep. segment with him. And he was just talking about going to the analytics conference. He goes, the winter meetings. I was at it. The winter meetings for nerds. I yep. was I think that was one of the funniest things. I, wanna, I saw Eno there. It was great. I want to get into your – your because you, you cover pitching as good as anybody. Um Another got Gonsolin now going to have Tommy John. I mean, everybody's having Tommy. I pitched in college. <laughs> I pitched in college in the 90s, played with some big leaguers, played with a bunch of different guys that got drafted. Man, we didn't do Tommy John surgery 30 years ago. It's like you were scared to death. And and what is it? Can is there anything that we can do? I know some people are starting to try to bring in the pitch clock, and I go, all right, but we had a ton of Tommy Johns well before pitch yep. clock. Surgery is not a good thing. Surgery for human beings, one, now we're talking two, three, Tommy Johns. This is not healthy mentally. We know not physically. It's not healthy mentally. What's going on? Yeah, I wish I wish I had a better answer here. I think it's a byproduct probably of velocity to some extent. But I think we say that, I, I don't want to say we, I think the public you'll see on Twitter and other places generally say, like, stop chasing velocity, it just causes injuries. But The problem I don't think is in chasing velocity. I think it's more so in front office valuation of velocity being very important. And us kind of having a very blueprinted plan of how to develop velocity, you know, in valuing velocity and understanding that velocity on a pitch as you increase it is going to increase the quality of that individual offering more times than not. And if you're trying to make it in the big leagues, you know, and a team is saying you need to get up to 94, 96 because we think everything will play better, you know, your career and life depends on that velocity number for the most part, you know? And I I think that has a large implication. I don't necessarily think we're going to have a reversion back to command guys. You know, I think that's more survivorship bias of guys who exist for a very long time 
and then the velocity deteriorates are probably still only in the league because they're able to command the ball well. Commanding young pitchers is something that I, I think is a very ambiguous topic to train. It's, it's not something in talking to pitching coaches that there's a blueprint for. I know a lot of teams have expected command models and driveline baseball just released command baseballs that are small variants of weight to help you kind of understand and coerce your natural mist into more optimal locations is probably the simplest for way to release put it. point. Release point, but more so, more so like taking a standard weighted baseball and then dropping it five percent, dropping it ten percent weight, and then you know increasing it ten percent, increasing it five percent weight, but leaving it in the shape of a baseball to allow you to understand. Okay, your natural miss is here, and now when you're using a lighter ball, it's actually another five inches in this direction. So you have to move correct in the opposite. Kind of like a wiffle ball. <laughs> it basically is in that to some extent. I've never actually thrown one. I don't exactly know, yeah. and I'm, I'm planning on talking to more people about it, but. There's clearly some interest in trying to develop command. But I do think at the end of the day, I mean, Kyle Wassenberger from Driveline had a really good thread on this that I think I retweeted. It's probably on my Twitter somewhere. But he talked about, like, the curve of, like, as velocity increases, you know, the torque on an arm is going to increase. But it's a matter of, like, you know, relative to the average, where are you, you know? Like, you could be a guy who increases the torque but has increased his velocity such that you're now actually creating less torque than the average guy who's throwing 94, 95. There's a lot more nuance, I think, to velocity development and how it affects pitchers than we're discussing publicly. And that's because it's very, very complex information and something that I haven't totally distilled down. I think the pitch clock is an interesting angle just from the very simple concept of, you know, if you're, you know, anybody works out, right? Like you're squatting, you're doing five by fives at a certain weight. You know, you're resting two minutes before or two minutes between sets. Cut that rest to 130. And then you might be wondering why you're failing, say, your last couple reps in that fifth set. It's because you're tired. You're creating more fatigue on your body. So to me, isolating and cutting down the time between pitches for some pitchers is, is going to have some effect, especially initially. And now maybe chronically as we get into the late stage of the season is accumulated fatigue. I don't necessarily know whether that's true. I imagine front offices are thinking about this stuff. I've not heard a lot about it publicly. you know. But again, I don't think that's the main driver. right? I think at the end of the day, it's probably velocity to some extent. But that comes with risk. You have to assume risk if you want to be able to throw 96 miles per hour. You know, yes. I don't think a kid in, in college is like, oh, I'm going to get to the big, the big leagues at 88. It's like, good luck. Like, you better have 80 command. Like, you better have the best command in college baseball, and then you're probably not even going to go in the first couple rounds, you know? So a lot of nuance to it. I come down in velocity, but I do think there's a lot more nuance to it. I like to play a doctor here on the show, so I'm going to do it with you. Um, sure. No matter what baseball people think no matter who it is a pitching coach analytics whatever the only thing that matters is this thing right here this ligament and people know it inside your funny bone and when you bump it it really hurts your ucl this what can it withstand that is yeah, the question sure. and that is the thing we've talked to billy bean about it and he he's like you'd be a billionaire if you could figure it out like how do you stop it how do you train what do you do that's the thing it's like whether there's torque not to just pushing the body in, in any sport, right? We see it with golfers all the time with their backs. We see it with sure. – whenever you try and truly increase how hard you can take your body, the body ends up breaking down. So the question then becomes, too, and I see it as an epidemic here, is we say it all the time, 4,374. That's the amount of outs you got to get in a baseball season, not counting extra mm. innings. We don't have enough guys to get these outs. We got guys throwing harder, but we got no innings. How we get like we're like talking before you came on. Hell, sign Syndergaard. We need somebody to get us innings. Mm. So part of the problem is we may have guys who throw harder. We just don't have enough guys to get us enough outs. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, I, especially with the athletics, I haven't followed you guys' season too closely. You haven't missed I, anything. <laughs> <laughs> Mason Miller. Mason Miller's fun, but even he went yeah. down sliding into yeah. obviously. But really like Mason Miller. But, no, nah, you, you're correct. I mean, that is a calculus for some of the more sharper teams in baseball is looking at that innings total, you know, and, and understanding kind of, you know, how do we get to these innings? Do we want it to be based off the back of four starting pitchers who goes four to six, or excuse me, six to seven innings? Do we want to be the Rays and basically have no one go through five or six? Even the Rays run into injuries, but I think that's more of a tolerance to sign guys who have injury histories. Yeah. You know, there's that old adage that like the only way to predict injuries is to look at past injuries, potentially some merit in there. You know, I'm not entirely sure. I don't really have data to back that up, but I could see that. I mean, the Rays have tolerance for that. Guys like Drew Asmus and Jeffrey Springs. McClanahan, I don't think, had an injury history, but they're okay with it. You know, <laughs> like if we can get these guys for cheaper and make them into better pitchers and only need them to throw four or five innings and have the development track to pull up guys from AA and AAA under cost control who can get outs at the major league level because we value stuff so highly in a central setup for our catchers. Like, yeah, they, they chop that, they chop that uh, pie, the innings pie up into smaller and smaller pieces. And I don't think we're going to see too much of a stray from that. But every postseason recently, you know, you get into it and you realize how important like a deep starting pitcher is, you know, like the ability to have a guy go six or seven is, is huge. Like those are intimidating options. And even if the leashes are shorter, a team like the Phillies with guys like Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, et cetera, like that's an intimidating team, which that goes back to our point about Stromer for the Cubs is a very important piece of this team. You know, I think as you start to make some multiple relievers into leverage spots in a postseason situation, in some, you look at the whole picture of it and you're like, okay, on average, we expect this to come out good, but you know, any one of those individual guys could have a blow at that inning and then that's the game. You know, you saw the Rays do this a ton in the past where they're gamifying the system. They're like, okay, we're going to have a pitcher throw four and then we'll cover the other five innings with individual outings. And it's like, they're betting that, you know, those guys will average out to being a good starting pitcher. Sometimes it just doesn't happen. You know, it's, it's, a, again, it's a calculated risk, just like trying to throw hard and value velocity. All right, the number one – we'll, we'll end on this because it's the number one thing I wanted to ask you. I wanted you to go into your database and because <laughs> this is the most fa- – this is one of the most fascinating things about me uh, – for me about pitching. Certain organizations are really good mm. at looking at other guys and other teams and going, you know what, if we got that guy, all we got to do is tweak this, tweak that, do this, and he'll be a way better pitcher. So they can take what you got – and bring them over and make them better. Now, a lot has to go into coaching, analytics. The, the players got to have the buy-in. What is it about certain teams? And I don't know if you know, but what is it that they do or how they understand that they can look at somebody else on another team and go, if we get him, we can make him better? Yeah, couple things there. Um, I'll say that most of the time, I think those organizations are really well integrated between acquisition development and major league coaching such that they're acquiring guys with the ready a plan of knowing what to do as opposed to acquiring the guy and then figuring out the plan afterwards i think the dodgers are obviously one of the best teams in baseball at this you see this with lynn yeah. um and lynn is a funny one too because there isn't anything drastically different there on the shapes or velocity or i don't even think mechanic side of things maybe they're playing around with something mechanically but they optimized usage for him he faced you guys in his first start he threw 85 percent four seamers to lefties i wrote about this it's baffling like he, the pitch was getting slaughtered they took the target moved it up away they knew i think most of the lefties on the ace had tr- trouble with fastballs and they ripped the pitch 85 percent of the time they almost like game theory they were just like yeah okay you're not expecting us to do this 85 percent of the time we're going to do it 85 percent of the time it's going to work and he dominated so i i do think those teams are just sharper and i do think going back to your point about buy-in 
you know, I had an analogy given by an individual I was talking to this offseason who basically said, you know, we have the Space Jam water bottle, you know, <laughs> guys come to our organization and know they're going to get better. Yeah. They drink it. Like if that is huge. Like, I think that's a massive piece of this puzzle is just understanding that, that element, that ability to go to another org. This org has approved these other guys. I'm going to listen to what those guys have to say about me. I'm actually going to start using this pitch differently. And it's just, a, it's a matter too. Like, I always think it's funny org to in internally in orders. I was talking to some pitching coaches, assistant pitching coaches about this. You know, it's all the time you'll hear assistant pitching coaches trying to push the major league pitching coach to make an adjustment to a pitcher on a team. We want this guy throwing more. I want him throwing more. We want to adjust this pitch. And you often hear pushback like, hey, we don't want to do that in season. He's still got to get outs. But when the pitcher is really bad or moves the organizations, then you see that stuff change immediately. And I think that maybe over time, other organizations are going to realize that have more tolerance to adjust guys in season when, you know, an individual pitcher isn't particularly great, but he's not bad. It's, it seems like we only get the only get these drastic changes and like mix an approach when the guy moves orgs or is terrible. You know, this is like you get Corbin Burns, Lucas Giolito, like a lot of these guys were really bad at one point. Make a drastic adjustment. Now they're really good. Giolito hasn't been that great. But that, I think, is a huge part of it. I, I do think it's at the end of the day, it's buy-in, it's coaching. But I, I really think it is just integration of departments. You know, the, they knew what they were doing with Lynn when they got him. I imagine it's just the seamless flow of acquisition to then being on the major league staff and understanding what they're doing. Some works do it well, others don't. And I always think about the other organization going, damn, why didn't we do that? <laughs> yeah, the, you know, the, the funny thing, I, I hear that all the time. I was talking to an, another individual, who, the, their organization traded with a pitcher who got really good in another org. And I was like, yeah, that's, I like kind of joked about it. I was like, yeah, you guys must be, you must be mad about that. And he's like, the thing that the public never understands is that any pitcher going to another org, oftentimes in that old org, there was probably someone with the idea that that new team executed. There's a lot of smart people in front offices, right? Yeah. Someone had that idea. I think almost 95% of the time I'll say it, the org, the original org had the idea to do what the other org, new org did with the pitcher, just wasn't executed. It either wasn't bought into by the pitching coach or the front office said, no, there's too much heavily invested in this player. That, I think, is like the, the thing that's swept under the rug all the time. is like you trash the organization for not actually making that individual change, which seemed really obvious. But I bet most of the time in that organization, someone had that idea. It just wasn't risen to the top, and it wasn't, it wasn't bought into. Like the, the front office didn't buy into it, or politics prevented the decision from being made. That's fascinating. I, I know you got to go. One more one quickly. Yeah, I'm here. Um, for people who want to get into this, and like the, sure. the one place that we baseball savant, we can get what are the top three numbers, or what do you look at when you say I'm judging a pitcher? What are the three things you could give our audience they could look at? The simplest one that has a really strong correlation to success is just Kate strikeouts minus walks. There's two things that the pitcher can control really, really well. It doesn't get into batted ball luck or quality or anything along those lines. It looks at control. It looks at how much you can generate swing and miss. It's a really simple one. You sort that any year based on, you know, just the league qualified pitchers are going to run into a, a pretty good sort of the best pitchers in baseball. Um, apart from that, I think stuff plus is fun. It's a new one that's kind of come out. I know, you know, Saris is proprietor of it. You guys have him yeah. all the time. I absolutely love that dude. Great podcast for him. He's on a great podcast to race and barrels and stuff. And that's available publicly on, on uh, fan graphs. I will say that's a little deeper. You know, it's, it's, it's judging pitch movement, velocity release, and some other characteristics, trying to blend it into an individual number. The fascinating thing for that is when you have a pitcher overperforming or underperforming it. That's, you know, that's the step beyond the K minus walk. I K minus walk, I think, is a very simple way to just jump into analytics, look at how good a pitcher is, and even try to project forward a little. Like, if a guy's terrible but has a really strong K minus walk, I think there's a good chance he'll get better over time. Stuff plus is more the, 
really nuanced, fun stuff that I look at all the time, just like trying to theorize on why this guy's pitching well. Is there something that Stuff Plus is missing? Is it, you know, what is it not capturing that this guy has, or what it, is it capturing but this guy's underperforming? Is that sequencing? Is that location? Is that something else going on? Is he tipping? So I, I'd say those two things are really strong. Um, I'm not sure if I have a third. I'll, I'll keep it to two. Well, I'll tell you this. You're fantastic. I think as our game grows, and I've said this to Eno, like as our game grows, everything that you guys are doing, helping a media standpoint, is just going to continue to grow and get better. So you're right on the right track. And you know what? We all got a little baseball nerd in us. Uh, I think so. I think that's totally true. I have a sub stack in the YouTube, too, if anyone's interested in checking out my stuff. G- give all your stuff. Uh, promote, promote everything you got. Yeah, everything is going to be based around Lance, B-R-O-Z, first four letters of my last name. Whatever platform you're on, I'm on it, and I'm probably doing something. Great stuff. We appreciate it. Let's do this again soon. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. Be well. All righty. You know, when you deal with these guys, big leaguers, I mean, just to get them to come up the stairs and walk around and find a conference room, I didn't realize it was that hard to get you just to walk upstairs and you got to have someone come get you and hold your hand. And Johnny Gomes is here on Ace Cast Live. I don't want to be high maintenance, but I got stuff going on, champ. Oh, yeah. I got stuff going on. We got Otani coming to the town. Oakland just played pretty well up in Seattle. You got to be I on the air at, at 630. You, you got a big day ahead of you. You're not on the air till 630. That's a we. That is a we. That's well, a I'm wee. on the air always. You are. The you're, the, you're the people's champ. How are you? Right on schedule, bud. NorCal, been up here for a while. You went home to Petaluma. I went to Petaluma, and you know where I swung by? I swung by Cal Berkeley, too, to check on that ball club over there. They got some guys over there. Well, I can't wait for yeah. them to be playing against, like, Wake Forest and Clemson and North Carolina. Get your frequent flyer miles. And the ACC. Right? <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Head up to Toronto while you're there. Oh, Ooh. my God. Gosh. Take a little vacay in the Bahamas. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's like when you're, when, when you're on the Atlantic coast. I can't even follow what's going on. More power to you for knowing all that. I mean, that, it's, that it's would a be hot like, mess is what it is. That would be like um, back in the day – you sign with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, and, yep. you, and you guys are playing in the NL West. Exactly. It's like putting a team in Hawaii and then putting <laughs> a team in Japan, sending one team from Japan over to the AL West, and you got to head out there once a month. But we're worried about the kids and their education. Oh, that first, right? Yeah. NIL money, too. Pretty big deal. Yeah, we're worried about their education. Yeah. Um, how crazy is getting ready for it? So, by the way, I showed everybody the notes, and mm-hmm. I did the Angels in pink and the A's in green. Everything is about the Angels. None of it's good. It's a lot of pink. Um, it's a lot of pink because it's a lot of um, – can you imagine getting on the bus to come to the game today with the Angels and everybody's looking around going, who are you? Yeah, you who are wear, you? Yeah, you got to wear name tags. You got to wear name tags. There's a lot of new dudes. What do you think of all this? Um. Well – I think from Jump Street, right, like, it was kind of like with the Mets and then the fire sale up there, too. Like, you got to give them the flowers for trying. There's a, there's a lot of not trying in MLB, right? But, I mean, for them to try, I'll, I'll give them the flowers. And then for them to mail it in so early, right, to get rid of these guys so the luxury tax goes down and their pick goes up a little higher, that's another try. But um, how fast that backfired. Right. That's like having a friggin that's like having a three and nine Texas Hold'em and going all in early before the flop. 
and then and they it's, call your bluff. Bye bye. And they called your bluff. King high one. Oops. Well, yeah. I mean, and then I, I'd imagine Otani's going to be gone. Uh, this is going to be. I mean, even in the beginning of the season, right? We were talking about already selling the team, and then he pulled that back and keeping it. So. Yeah, it's uh, the AL, AL West is in a little little limbo, if you will. And what's weird is coming into this series, you think we're all just talking about Otani and this could be, oh, my God, a triple crown. And, I mean, I, you know, the, the pitching, but now with the UCL, that's a whole different thing. He still leads a bunch of categories in the American League. And it's hard to believe our first international global baseball star coming into Oakland for this series. We're not even talking about him. We're talking about just what a dumpster fire they are as an organization. Yeah, these are two of the, you know, fourth and fifth place teams in the league going head to head. And we're going to see who has a little bit of fight. And you talk about like a job interview for everybody. This is an absolute job interview. He says, Johnny Gomes, this is for all you people out there. I don't care how old you are, especially if you're a younger person, but this is for everybody. Every day in your life is what? A job interview. Every pitch, every swing, IQ test, teammate test. Did you get your work in, get your early work? Did you watch your tape? Did you work out? You got a month left in the season. You got nothing to play for outside of yourself. You do. How good of a teammate are you going to be? I mean, guess who's also going to be in the stands after this series is a ton of scouts watching Texas, watching Seattle, watching Houston to prep for them. So guess who they're going to be watching? They're going to be watching you by default. So, granted, you want to be in that playoff race. Playing for October is the best thing you could ever do in Major League Baseball. But, um, yeah, if these games didn't count, they wouldn't play them. They wouldn't play them, and they count. And you're auditioning for all 29 teams other than your team. So, it really is the same thing for both the A's and the Angels. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, it's it's fun, man. It, it really is playing in September – looking at the scoreboard, looking at, you know, the first, second, third place, how many games are we out, how many games are we ahead, that's why you play. That's really it. And you don't really know that until you get a taste of it. And once you get a taste of it, you become starving for it. Um, that's why you're able to turn around these slumps in August and June and July. You know, you nip them in the butt early, so you do have something to play for. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that was, you know, some advice that I wish I would have got was, like, yeah, man, like you have this uniform on, but everyone's watching at any given point. Everyone's watching. Ended up getting traded a couple times and like, oh, yeah, they really are watching. <laughs> yeah. You mean everybody's really watching these games? I thought it was just happening in St. Petersburg. No. No, they're actually everybody's watching. Yeah. And that's what, uh, you know, we're trying to talk about with the young players and – I'll let you explain it better than me because they're going to say you have more credibility to talk about it. It's the – you need to learn how to play a full season. Yeah. And it's just not physical. It's mental. So, for these guys, our players who have come up to, like, get through that finish line, it's like finishing, you've trained, and you've gotten through your first marathon. That allows you then to go into the offseason and go, wow, I got to change the way I work out. I got to change how I prepare mentally because it's such a mental grind to go with the physical grind. 
How important is it for the young guys, whether you're great, you stink, whatever, just to learn how to finish the race? Yeah, I think you'll figure out real quick as a player it's a lot harder to stay in the big leagues than it is to get to the big leagues. Right To get to the big leagues, it's analytically driven. It truly is, especially these days, to when you can just play a year and a half, two years in the minor leagues, and your exit velocity is there, your average launch is there, you know, your war is there, your defensive range is there, boom, so you go. Right Back in the day, you had to put a good, solid season in at five to six levels underneath. So it's analytically driven to get here, and then once you get here, it turns into a scouting report. Absolutely scouting report. You know, data is the new currency in Major League Baseball. Look behind home plate. Look at the catcher. He flips over that laptop that he has on his wrist. Those are all your holes, right? There's no more guessing, right? 2-2 two, two count, 2-1 two, count, run a scoring position. I go right to it, right? So these young guys got to figure out how to beat the scouting report of themselves, right? It, the number one thing to succeed as a young guy is you got to self-evaluate. You have to know what you're good at, and you have to know what you're not good at. And what you're not good at, you're going to be seeing a lot more of that. How would you go about that as a young player? you got to self-evaluate, right? You, you have to understand, like, what you're not good at. And it, and it takes, takes a while, especially as a young guy. You hit an inside fastball for a home run, you can just mail that inside-in fastball for two weeks. You're not, you're not getting another one. And it's just all sample size, and you have to change, and you have to change, you have to change to your success because you don't have a big track record. You don't have a big scattering report. So you swing and miss at a slider. I remember coming up, you swing and miss at a slider, and then saw 10 consecutive sliders right after that. And you got to prove that you can hit it before they go somewhere else. You hit the ball to left field, they're going to give you a little pull this way. You hit the ball to right field, they're going to give you a pull that way. So, I mean, as the success comes, at the same time, this baseball is a human element, so you are going to get mistakes. They try and go inside, and it leaks over. So that's the other thing is you got to hammer that. You got to hammer that. There's, you don't get many mistakes in the big leagues. The ones that do get hammered, and when they get fouled back, that's when you got to go into grind mode. And then you jump on a plane, and you got to do it every single day and all over the place. And, you know, with the, you know, the inner league, and not really the inner league. So, I mean, DH is all over, so you're playing all 29 other teams. It's uh, it's a grind, and you find that out real quick. I love how you put that. You got to self evaluate. You got to figure out because they're gonna figure out what your holes are. Real and, quick. And and you know the whole thing too. I, I find, especially at this time of the year, where we're like, oh, it's a big leisure. There's so much bad pitching. Yeah. There is so much bad. Like I was like, like Zach Neal's a cool story. That yep. is a really cool story. And whether you're talking about Zach Neal or whoever, it just goes to show we need bodies. We need bodies that can throw innings and get outs. I don't care if you're 34, 24. I don't care if you throw 100. I don't care if you throw 50. I just need you, whoever you are, random player, to go get me four or five innings because my bull- I wasted my bullpen months ago. Like that guy, like, and that's why I bring up Zach Neal because the story's good. First win with the uh, A's since 2016. That's a cool story, right? He was about to retire. But I'm thinking about going, I need Zach Neal and three, four other guys like him hovering in AAA. I want to have my top guys, but I need three or four Zach Neals who I'm going to need throughout the year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why Major League Baseball is one of the coolest sports, if not the coolest sport to watch. I mean, there's no, like, 30-year-old that's going to pop up in the NBA. There's no 30-year-old that's going to pop up and be a starting quarterback just out of the blue, right? So, I mean, baseball, you see that often. 
You do, and I think it's so great that there's these guys always can stay in the fight in the minor leagues, and you go to Japan, you go to Korea, you go to Mexico, you grind it out, and you come back. Baseball players are grinders, right? And I and I love watching those success stories. At the same time, I love watching a young Acuna come up ready at 19 years old, right? I think our game is in a good spot, and there's always room for the success stories. Uh, to see the emotion from Neil after his start in uh, Chicago, you don't see that interview either at, at other sports, right? You don't see a dude breaking down halfway through the season emotional like in the NBA. That's just what they're cut out for. Um, again, why the, why the game of baseball is best sport. But, yeah, I mean, you, you got to have talent. You got to be deep. You know, you're going to start season with 26. You're probably going to use 36 to 42. You got to be deep, and the clubs at the top are the deepest. Yeah, I want to ask you about Mookie and Acuna because that, I mean, it's kind of flip a coin. Uh, before we do that, anything about the A's young players that you like that has stood out? Well, I mean, there's that glaring stat of those stolen bases from Ruiz, right? And, I mean, I look at Ruiz, and I broke him down the other day, and his offensive, like, numbers are so bad, right? <laughs> Like in a in a young no like in a young analytical way like yeah. free swinging you know chasing pitches off the plate now listen if he's able to tighten this up not a swing overhaul by any means like an approach overhaul, he's got hands and coordination he can swing it it's all there and I love I mean I was there too right every young guy if you're not a superstar are up at the plate just wailing at balls because you're so stoked to be in the big leagues and all that stuff. And there's an adjustment, and sometimes it takes three, four, five, six years. Sometimes it takes one offseason. But for this dude to have 50-plus stolen bases and him getting on base is atrocious. Like, he has 16 walks. When Ricky Henderson stole 130, Ricky Henderson had 116 walks. Right? He's coming in at a 243 clip. Like, he's chasing a lot of balls, you know, off the plate. So to have... 52 stolen bases and hit 340 or higher with runners in scoring position. That's a dude. And not know what he's doing at the plate yet. That's the guy that sticks out to me. And he's kind of just fitting over to left field, so now he can play left and center. Like, he's a cheat code, man. He gets on first and two pitches later he's at third. Like, what? I mean, and then along the same lines as these young guys hitting behind him, just take, right? Don't you want to be in a situation with a sack fly? Right. Oh, it drives me nuts all the right. time. So He's at early, first pop early up, in the season. Pop up. And it wasn't even, it would be Tony Camp. It would be, be like, yeah. why are you swinging? Let him go. Let him go, right? And then just, let, I mean, take a couple pitches. Be comfortable 0-2. Be comfortable 1-2. Because if he gets to second, you roll a ball over in the five hole, you just get rewarded with an RBI, right? Let him get to second. Third base has to get a little bit on the line, a little bit closer. Opens up that hole. Shortstop's going to be holding them on. Second base is going to be holding on. Those gaps shorten up. The field opens up. So, I mean, letting him do his thing, and then the guys behind him have to be doing their thing. I mean, yeah, he's uh, he's, I, I, I like what I see. I mean, there's a ton of upside. That's what Carney Lansford always talked about the second time because he had the first time, but then the second time around with Ricky where it was a lot easier, where – you got to learn to have that patience when you have a guy like that out there. Totally. Because you want to swing, but you also know you got to suck it up and let him go. Yeah. I mean, I play with a guy like Carl Crawford, you know, Jacoby Ellsbury. Devil Rays. Yep. Jacoby. Not Rays, Devil Rays. There's Jacoby Ellsbury in there. There's a, you know, a Drew Stubbs, uh, Coco Crisp here. 
Like, just be patient out there, man. I mean, hitting with runner in scoring position, the difference with a runner not in scoring position and scoring position is just 90 feet. It's just first to second, right? And then now shortstop has to honor him. Second base has to honor him. Third base has to get a little closer. That infield opens up. You start to hit with runner in scoring position. You're starting to get some points on the board. There you go. One of the best things around here that we will do to keep ourselves occupied is tell Johnny to tell Lou Pinella stories. Son, 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 son. Lou stories are the, you know, we we remember Lou because they. I, I was thinking about you in the Mariner series because they yep. they showed Lou a couple times and then you know you think about him in Cincinnati, but Lou Pinella with the Devil Rays coming back. Obviously, super established, the big name. He's from the area. He's from Tampa, so to bring him back. But it's amazing how Lou didn't know who you guys were, probably never learned who a lot of you guys were, didn't care who you guys were, but there was something about Lou and the way he went about his business that he actually taught you guys things, and you didn't even know he was teaching you things. Yeah, I mean, it's I, fascinating. Yeah, I mean, from Jump Street, looking at it now, I mean, you just go look at Lou's like ejections, which are gone these days, right? Aaron Boone has a couple good ones, but that's that was the flow of traffic, and the reason he's going out there is because he like totally had your back, and he went out there a lot of times just knowing he was wrong, but he had your back, and when the manager has your back, that's um. You, you want to go out there and you want to grind for that guy, right? That's your head first slide. That's your dive in the outfield. That's wearing a pitch on the inside with bases loaded anyway and a bad matchup to get that run across the board. So all that hard work that goes in between the lines is obviously for yourself, but it's to honor someone. Maybe it's the pitcher that's on the mound on defense or definitely the manager. The manager is the only person leaving with a win-loss record. I don't know what my win-loss record is. Everyone knows what the manager's win-loss record is. So, I mean, the way you play is a tribute to him having your back. And, yeah, there's some beautiful Lou Pinello stories out there. All absolutely. right, so one that I love is that he taught a group of young Devil Rays mm-hmm. about you need to show up ready to go every day. Yeah. Now, I think it's easy to yell at a guy. I think it's easy to question a guy. I think it's easy to throw a guy on the DL. There is one story about teaching one guy and everybody observing, and they learn from it too. So Lou Pinella has – it was Jorge Cantu, I believe it was. I think some – might have been someone else. But, yeah, there, yeah, it was one of those guys. It was a promising young Ray. Yeah. Who comes in and doesn't like the pitching matchup that day and all of a sudden isn't feeling so hot. Yep. Isn't feeling so hot. I don't know if it was hamstring or oblique or whatever. Can't go today. Um, okay, you know, that's fine. Son, sit it out, son. Son, 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 you're fine. Go in the training room, get your treatment. We need you. We need you. Go get healthy. First of all, he doesn't know anybody's name. He calls everybody son. Some guys aren't good with names, right? <laughs> son, son, son. So, yeah, it goes in the next day, not in the lineup. It's okay. Next day, not in the lineup. Third day, not in the lineup. Goes up to Lou. It's like, Lou, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Son, 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 I need you to take it easy. I want you to be 100%. Let's take another day off. Now, all of you were watching this. Yeah, yeah. And then it was end up probably was about six days, Lou Saddam, when the kid just wanted one off, right? And then he turned into a dog after that and never pulled on his shirt to come out of the game again. 
And those are the little things like that of, of a manager. And, you know, he went off and had a freaking great career, drove in a whole bunch of runs. But, you know, teaching guys to be tough, right? Like that one little thing, not only did it teach him, but it taught all of us. Because he's like, I don't know why I'm not playing. I don't know why I'm not playing. He's like, oh, you know, relax, relax, get healthy, get healthy, take it easy. Um, but, yeah, it was <laughs> Lou Pinnell. He's a gem. I mean, think about that. You could have easily had a team meeting. You could have easily wore that guy out in front of everybody. He basically said, I'm going to make an example out of this guy. Yep. And I'm not going to flip out. I'm just not going to play him. And I have the power to do that. And all you guys were watching. Because you guys had to be all saying, wow, this guy's not playing it still. Guess how many days I spent on the DL, and guess how many games I came out of from 2001 to 2016. Zero. 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 Lou Pinello told, taught you, up here, you better be ready to go when I call on you. Yeah. Now, if you're seriously injured, that's sure. one thing. It happens, yeah. But if Randy Johnson's on the mound and you show up going, oh, my hammy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you got to be ready when that bell rings. Yeah, Lou had some great players, and he he did tons of stuff in between the lines in the clubhouse that he probably doesn't get a lot of credit for. But, um, yeah, as a young kid, being that's my first manager, first big league manager, <laughs> Lou freaking – yeah, my first big league camp, I got Lou Pinella running the show, and at my locker to my right, I got Fred McGriff, and to my left, I have Tino Martinez. It's 700 years of big league service <laughs> for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays to really kick it off. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. We got to go? We got to go. There's a big game tonight. You excited? Yeah. Yeah. September 1. Well, J.P. Sears, I'll tell you what. I know things haven't been great for J.P. Sears, but the fact that you've got a young pitcher who is now going to pitch the whole season. Mm -hmm. Getting back to how important certain things are. We talked to David Force, by the way. I don't know if we're going to play it on TV today. I asked David Force about you. And what do you remember about Johnny Gomes? And one of the things was your robe. Oh, jeez. I hit some friggin' homers for that guy, too. <laughs> I remember oh the gosh. robe. I sprayed, robe I sprayed champagne in the clubhouse. Yeah. Your robe and your leadership. Okay. I'll take it. Yeah, I had my work cut out with a young Josh Donaldson and a young Josh Reddick. I was tougher to babysit those two than my own kids. People don't remember, and people may not even know, that let's just say they weren't the best of friends. No. No. But we ironed it all out, and by the end, they were. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, those were two really, really interesting characters. Uh, probably, you know, my hardest projects, I guess. Ever? Uh, yeah, I mean... You know, I mean, the, the young guys in Tampa were just, like, superstars. They were good. Uh, I went to Cincy. There's a young Jay Bruce, a young Joey Votto that, you know, almost triple crowned the league. This guy doesn't need any help. Uh, bouncing around all over different places. I had a young Ian Desmond um, in Washington. A young Will Middlebrooks in uh, Boston. But, yeah, those two guys, they were tough. They were tough, and they were really good and ended up winning. Josh won a championship, you know, with Houston. He did really good. Donaldson goes and gets an MVP. 
He's in the playoffs all the time. They can't even get rid of him. He just gets released by New York, pops up with Milwaukee. Yep, we'll take him. Brewer great Josh Donaldson, yep. our old buddy. I we'll was, see. I always love Josh Donaldson because I think there has to be somebody who is that guy. Yeah. That guy in the room, like in your group of buddies – there's always going to be that buddy that you love. He's one of the, you know, you grew up with him. You love this guy, but he's got a little, you know what, in him. The guy's also got an MVP on his trophy, on his trophy. But wall. even before that, like, yeah. you get, you need somebody who brings that edge. But, yeah, I mean, I tell people all the time, he was, he was elite good in his head before he was elite good. And looking back on it, what a skill to have. Like, he, he knew he was going to get there. He well, knew fake. he was going to get there. He comes up. Was it 09 or check this out, Cody? He comes up in 09 or 010. He's a catcher. Yeah. He plays two games at the Sky Dome and then gets sent back down and we don't hear from him for years. 2010. Mm-hmm. Comes down 2010 and it's not till 12 where he comes back. Think about it. And he's it yeah. was a catcher and now what we all know Josh Johnson as a premier third baseman. I roll into big league camp spring training 2012 right, right after a big offseason sell everyone away, right? I go to camp, and I've been in the game for a while. Like, I know everyone who's playing. And I go into camp, and I know, like, four dudes. I'm like, whoa. With the A's? Yeah. Whoa, this is. <laughs> it's going to be rough. We got our work cut it's out. It's going to be a lot of vodka yeah. on the way to Japan. Yep. And we have pitchers BP, which is like, you know, sim game against the pitchers. There's this kid, he's wearing like 92 or something. It's kind of jacked a little bit, squatty, catcher, third base guy, gets in there in Mesa and just blasts the ball over the scoreboard. And I look around like, who's that? And they're like, oh, he's just this double-A kid, like tough to talk to, thinks he's super cool. And I was like. No, 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 no. Like, no one else is doing that. This dude just went over the scoreboard, oppo. That doesn't happen on accident. Like, there's action in there for sure. And they're like, oh, no, I just played double A. I'm like, all right, get out of the way. I'll take it from here. This is a guy. I knew it right away. He, he was a guy. I go to Bob Melvin. I'll stop talking to him, talking to everyone. They're like, you like him? What? You guys are morons if you don't like this kid. And, uh... I was pretty bummed out when he didn't make the club, and then he gets called back up. Uh, Scott Scott Sizemore hurts his knee. Yep, he doesn't do that well. He gets sent back down, and then he gets called back up. I want to say it was Baltimore. I think we're in Baltimore. And um, yeah, we rode to the field together, and I was like, you know, bro, you're running out of chances unless you can pitch. Like, this is it. It's go time. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, I got it. Yeah, I'll be fine. I'm, like, thinking in my head, wow, like, this guy is just calm, cool, and collected hitting 200. Oh, it wasn't 200. <laughs> yeah, it was his on base. He called me. This is a just true story. Josh Donaldson's getting – so Skysmore gets hurt. Scott Skysmore gets hurt, hurts his knee taking ground balls. Josh Donaldson takes over. Josh Donaldson's hitting point zero eight four. Sure. Sent back to Sacramento. On the way back to Sacramento, he calls into my talk show. And my producer in the head goes, Josh, Don- this guy claims he's Josh Donaldson. He's driving back to Sacramento. Because I was talking college football, and he's a big college football guy, right? He went to Auburn. 
So I'm like, all right. I took the phone call. JD, I talked to him for like 20 minutes live on the air as he's driving back to Sacramento. Mm-hmm. Who does that? Yeah. He's so pro. I love that kid. And then he comes back, and then the rest is history. I mean, all the way history. Condom- Most votes. What year was that? 2015 or six? Most votes for the All-Star game. Yeah. The All-Star game. Cover the video game. MLB the show. Cover. And then 2014, when I came back in the trade, that team, they should, we should, I don't know what happened there. Yeah, what happened to that team down know, the stretch? But, like. You guys were terrible down the stretch. Terrible. Um, it was literally just, like, one through nine in the lineup, just waiting for Josh to come back. <laughs> waiting for Josh to come back. <laughs> and he would do something. And he would do something. He was literally carrying the whole His ball first year back, he spent more time in the A's clubhouse when the Jays came here. And after the first night, he wrote this super long text to Bob Mel. I didn't read it, but Bob Melvin told me he wrote this. And it was apologies. It was all this kind of stuff. Uh, brought tear to, tears to Melvin's eyes. It was like yeah. I said, from an ex-player, it was one of those emotional, heartfelt, well-thought-out, super long text to Bob Melvin from Josh Johnson. He spent the whole three days hanging out in the A's clubhouse. Yeah, that guy's well-loved. He's a Oakland A's history, right? He's well-decorated third base. Him and Chavi, probably, you know, two of the tops to ever do it here. Bando, Chapman, they've had pretty pretty decent run of th- third base. They have. All righty. Okay. I'll see you in uh, half. About an hour. Game, set, match. Do you be ready 1st. to go? Are you gonna bring it? I, I'm driving the bus, buddy. You're driving the bus. I'm driving the bus. It's like I, I'm driving the boat, and you're the skier. You gotta follow me. So I'm just showing up and make up and me looking good yeah. today. Is that that? That's, that's all it. I'm doing today. You set them up. I knock them down. All right. Okay. Gotta you, be that easy. You do all the reads too. I suck at those. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.